This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> I love you. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voices of Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Cranch on set. As always, very good family man, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what is happening? Rich, is it cold enough for you? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's a balmy three right now in Chicago. It is a, uh, I believe, a like something like a 40-degree rise uh, in the last six hours here, all the way to three. And then uh, on Sunday, I believe, Sunday or Monday, it's going to be all the way up to like 50, 55 or something like that, which I think if you look at wind chill, it's like a 100-degree difference from where I was yesterday. So, um, I, no. <laughs> I'm looking at, I was looking at temperatures in Chicago, which is the coldest, by the way, of any of these uh, wild locations. Yeah. Oh no, it's more than Antarctica. We were, we were looking as well of like, did we beat Antarctica and we destroyed Antarctica yesterday? So that uh, is quite the uh, quite the achievement for uh, Chicago. But yes, I got to tell you, I lived in New Jersey obviously for thirty years or whatever it was, and I've obviously seen cold temperatures. I have never seen negative fifty and can't even conceive what that feels like. What does negative fifty feel like? I mean, is your life in danger when you're walking to the car? I mean, what is that even like? Yeah, they, even they, they claim it is, and I'm sure it is. I wouldn't doubt that it is, but uh, I'll be honest, it didn't feel, and, and like I was only out for a very brief amount of time, and I'll, I'll explain a little story as well, where I, I, I was feeling the cold uh, even inside my house, <laughs> but uh, I went out for a little bit, and it was, I mean, it, it was shockingly cold, like your nose hairs kind of freeze up. Uh, one thing that I did notice that people mentioned that it, like you're the water in your eyes will actually start to kind of crystallize a little bit. And it is a very weird feeling. So I went out there and I kind of like blinked a few times in my contacts. I could feel them like getting harder in my eye. I was like, this is a bad idea. So that was bad. So like you kind of have to blink it out or whatever. And then just so much moisture starts coming out of your eyes. But that was the one phenomenon where I was like, oh boy, that, uh, that is very, very strange. Otherwise, I feel like once you get cold, it's just kind of fucking cold. And I don't think that there's like that big of a difference to me. I didn't really feel it. Then again, I wasn't like outside. I really wasn't like doing a bunch of shit. I wasn't walking around the block. I wasn't walking my dogs. Like I was, and I was well prepared. I I went out with like 15 layers on. So that might've been an issue too, where like, if you go on, you know, just wearing your normal jacket, your normal shoes, and you just go and do, you know, things that you would normally do in the temperature, it probably would be a lot worse, but I don't know. I didn't really get me on that level of like, oh my God, this is so much colder than negative 10 or negative 20 i think once it's just fucking cold it's just fucking cold you know what right, i mean right yeah so like once you're at zero it's just fucking all the same right like i'm i'm, I'm miserable at like 10 and i'm pretty much miserable yeah. from 10 to negative 50 it doesn't matter it's just like god damn it it's cold and i hate this because i'm not a cold other person whatsoever so so you're able to walk the dogs and live your life it's it, it, you see you see because i have no concept of what negative 50 I, i've experienced negative 10 i think maybe i've experienced negative 20 I can't negative fifty to me, like you just said. It sounds like you're. It's a fucking polar bear shit, like Antarctica. Like I, I, I have just no conception. I can't conceive it. 
Yeah, my, my dogs, I would let them out and they would go like really quickly out and then run right back in. My one so they guy, go too. They're like, oh, yeah. Them. Yeah, my one never went out the entire day. Like the one I opened the door once, he felt it and just ran to the back. I was like, fuck off. Like the one that's got a little bit longer hair, he would at least go out and pee, but then he was right back in. And like, I didn't even think to even like walk him or anything like that because I, I, but they knew. They knew when that door hit them and the wind came. It was like, oh boy. They probably knew more than me because I was just like, ah, you know, it's not too bad. And and I kind of wanted to be a part of it for a little bit as well. Like, you know, I wanted to feel like, hey, I'm out here in this, you know, negative 60 yeah. wind chill. Like, yeah. this is kind of cool. Like, this is fun. You know, I remember there was one year a few years ago where it was like negative 30 wind chill. And I just went out in the middle of the night, just like stood in the middle of the street because it's like this weird, like noise. You can kind of hear this stuff. But Joe, have you heard of this phenomenon? We, we just discovered it in Chicago, apparently, uh, the other day. Uh, ice quakes. Have you heard of ice quakes? Never heard of ice quakes. What's ice an ice quake? Show. All right. Here we go. It's from the USA Today. Extreme cold weather uh, causes bizarre things to happen. And that was certainly the case Wednesday in Chicago when, oh, great, a giant ad. All right. Uh, when l- a series of loud booms were reported, the temperature in Chicago dropped to 23 below zero. Uh, early Wednesday, one of their coldest readings ever recorded in the city. Uh, what Chicago residents heard were likely frost quakes, also known by the dull geological term cryosisms, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I fucking pronounce it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, they occur when a rapid drop in temperature leads to a quick freeze, which causes the rock or soil to burst rather than just slowly expand. The rapid bursting sounds like noisy quakes along with possible shaking. Wow. So ice quakes, <laughs> frost quakes. What the so fuck? So it's a literal quake. It can cause little mini earthquakes. Yes. Yeah. See, I've ground- heard those, but I thought it was like my deck like, cause I have a wood deck or whatever. I thought it was just my wood deck, like the the wood expanding on my wood deck. They were frost quakes. <laughs> I heard them in the middle of the night. And I was like, what the fuck? They sound like gunshots. They sound like someone's like walking up to your deck and, and, and shooting a gun through it or whatever. It just was really, really bizarre. Weather is not to be fucked. No, <laughs> not it's, at all. You know, the earth is fucking amazing, you know? And, and it's like, you know, if we get just, you know, a subtle rise in temperature or, 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 um, or if the temperature lowers just just you know five degrees on it, like we're all fucking dead. Like like it's just amazing the effects of what weather can do and what water can do, and you don't even think about it. Like it's like you're saying, you don't even feel a noticeable difference between zero and negative fifty, and yet one causes fucking earthquakes. <laughs> right. Imagine if the temperature just dropped another fifty degrees. I mean, you know, it, it, there'd be people dying. You know, your furnace broke in the middle of. Oh August. my god, it was terrible. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a, quite the week. <laughs> so yeah, this is uh, it, it's actually fun to come on this podcast and talk about wrestling because that is much better than what's going on in my week. Yeah, Monday on my way to work, my car stalled out and I had to get that fixed. Uh, luckily, I don't need a whole new car. I thought I was gonna need one, but uh, luckily, I could have a little bit of a temporary fix right now. I just have to cut my AC. Uh, so as long as I just get a car before <laughs> it gets hot and I need my air conditioning, I'm good. So yeah, my car breaks down on Monday. On my way to work, I'm in the middle. I'm in the left lane too, and I can't move over. So people are honking at me. I have a cop that pulls over and is like, "Hey, uh, what are you doing in the left lane?" I'm like, "Yes, this is where I want to be, sir. This is exactly what I want." Yes, you're right. Why did I think to move over to a parking lot of the right lane? You're right. Why am I sitting in this left lane with my hazards on while it's cold with my car off? You're right, sir. (laughs) I'm reading a really long text. Right. You You got me. I don't know. He's like, are you stuck or are you stalled? And I'm like, stalled. He's like, you couldn't get over to the right? And I'm like, no, I'm stalled. Like, what are you talking about? He didn't, he didn't offer to push my car either. Like, he's just like, oh, well, you're causing quite the disturbance. You should get out of the way. And I'm like, I would love to get out of the way, sir. Like, you're right, Mr. Officer. I would love to get out of the way. And then he was like, well, do you have a tow truck coming? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, where is he? I'm like, I don't know. Somewhere in route here. I don't know. You 
fucking call the guy. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to be here. This is not what I want. So yeah, if you could get one here faster, I'd love to yeah, see. He's him. like, well, can you expedite it? I'm like, I, I don't know, maybe. And then he was right. He was right there, and I was like, oh, there he is. You jackass, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, fucking cops. But anyway, um, <laughs> then on Wednesday, I wake up in the middle of the night. Just hearing loud noises, not frost quakes. Uh, maybe, maybe for maybe some of them were frost quakes, but hearing just this loud noise coming from our furnace and going, "Oh, geez." I'm just thinking, "Hey, maybe it's doing double time. It's you know negative ten out there. The wind chills plummeting. Like, yeah, maybe it's just doing double time." I go out and it's just making a grinding noise, a loud noise, and I'm like, "Not today, not today." And we suspected this furnace was was due to blow at any time, but we really thought we had a little bit more to go. And then like. Maybe about 4 or 5 a.m. It just shuts off. I get an air code. And I'm just like, motherfucker of all days that this thing's going to happen. Uh, and the nurse had to get up and go to work, actually, that day as well. So she got up. She left. I um, feverishly called uh, uh, different companies. Luckily, I, I called one. Like, it was like 5 a.m. or whatever. And I called this one like 10 times. I was, I was like, I'm going to wake this asshole up. I don't care. Like, whatever. Just because I want to get out there before anybody else did. And luckily, I did. So I was able to get uh, a whole team to come over and give me a new furnace that day. But uh, yeah, my house, uh, I dropped to 44 degrees inside the house, which uh, if you've ever, that doesn't sound bad if you're outside, but in a house, that is not oh, great. Yeah, yeah the brutal. dog's not very happy about that either. So I put a bunch of heating pads in the bed and they were they were okay. But I was in a full jacket and gloves the entire day watching these guys uh, try to fix uh, my furnace and get it back up to speed. But it's it's back and we're good. So, so your, your, your furnace broke on the coldest day and recorded history. Yes, yes, of course. Because of course it did. <laughs> that's, that's like, you can't make it up. No. Just the worst. Just the worst. And that, like, you know, if your air conditioning breaks on like a super hot day, like, I feel like there's some solutions you have. I had fucking nothing, man. This house was like freezing over. You could feel the windows were just like, I was done. And I was like, God damn it. This is ridiculous. So yeah, luckily I was able to get a company to come out and they, they gave me a whole new furnace. I was hoping I could just get a motor, but I needed a whole new furnace. So you yeah, know it's, been a, want- uh, it's been a busy uh, week. So, <laughs> And do you know what you want to do when your car breaks down and your furnace breaks on the coldest day in recorded history? What you really want to do is enter match of the year ballot that don't have, that don't have dates on them. That's which is that's exactly what, what I did, which is exactly how my day went. Yes. You want to enter match of the year ballots that say. I want to find out when Processing Eve shows occurred, is what I really want to find out. I want to find out when Kaylee yeah. Ray and Viper had a Processing Eve match and what date that was. I really just right. cannot wait. Yeah. yeah. You, want, you want to enter a ballot that says Murphy versus Ali with no other information. That's what you want to do on a day like that when everything else goes wrong. Oh, God. Yeah, so we're here uh, now. So that's good. Match of the year is is just about done. Uh, we have a special Patreon episode where we reveal our top ten. You can do uh, listen to that at voicewrestling.com slash Patreon. Uh, the full top ten will be out later today by the time uh, most of you guys listen to this uh, as well. So yeah, match of the year has been fun uh, again this year. We talk a lot about it on the Patreon show. I uh, will have some other content as well on the website. But uh, yeah, overall thoughts on on match of the year, other than people having their dates wrong <laughs> on everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, just not to reveal anything. Um, because we're going to reveal that uh, behind the paywall and with the articles and stuff. Just my, my overall thought is match of the year never lies. It doesn't lie. Um, you know, it, it really uh, it really exposes bubble thinking. And it really exposes how all of us can take bubble thinking a little too seriously sometimes. So that's one thing to keep in mind as we see the results is just when you see people with opinions that seem super wacky or seem like they're um, rooted in some sort of uh, bias or you're probably, your instincts are probably right because year after year with this match of the year poll, um, 
you know, cream tends to rise at the top and sanity and reality, not sanity, the tag team, they don't appear. <laughs> they did not appear. No, but, I don't think sanity had a single match in this, uh, this year's ballot. So. But sanity and reality always rule over, um, you know, just wacky fringe opinions that sometimes get a little too much attention in uh, in our bubble. That's that's all I'll say with match of the year because we really can't say much more without revealing things. Yeah, we don't want to give, we don't want to spoil the top ten for for people that uh, obviously subscribe, and we don't want to spoil it for people that are going to read it up on the website as well. So yeah, voicesofwrestling.com, uh, you can read all the uh, match of the year uh, results, and then also as I said, voicesofwrestling.com slash Patreon, we'll be doing a special top ten reveal. Uh, if you want to know the top ten before everybody else does, uh, you can do that. Subscribe there, some good stuff there. But uh, Joe, that's it for ads this week because this is an ad free week of uh, Voices of Wrestling. So let's get right into the news here. I think we got to start with the uh, the contract season updates. This is, uh, Joe, this is juicy every single week, man. You do these updates during the week. Sometimes you can't even keep up with these things uh, on our Patreon. But, man, it's juicy stuff this week. We got Dean Ambrose and Kenta. Joe, uh, who do you want to start with, Kenta or uh, old Jonathan Good? Uh, let's start with Dean Ambrose. I mean, I think that's the, uh, the more interesting story here. Dean Ambrose uh, put in his notice with WWE, his contract ends sometime in April. I think everybody uh, listening has probably uh, come across this story by now. This was broken by PW Torch. Uh, they had uh, multiple different uh, sources on this one, and then it was confirmed not only by uh, other wrestling reporters such as Dave Meltzer and Mike Johnson and such, but was also confirmed by WWE themselves, who put out a statement, which is another interesting part of this story. They put out a statement of their own uh, saying that it is true Dean Ambrose will not be renewing his contract and they wish him well and hope to see him back in WWE in the future. That, of course, got a lot of stupid people thinking that this was all a work. Um, <laughs> let's, and, let's address that first. Let's okay. address that first and foremost. The fact that WWE.com puts up an article about this, thus it must be a work, Joe. What, what are your thoughts on, on those stupid people that say no, this? Is, <laughs> look, I agree that WWE doesn't typically uh, do this sort of thing. They did speak publicly on the Ronda Rousey thing. Uh, recently, and and now they come out with this, uh, when with this Dean Ambrose story, I think what this is is another part of the changing landscape. I think that um, the story broke through uh, the wrestling media, and WWE wants to control the story the best they can. They don't want to look bad. Uh, they know this all elite stuff is happening, and and all this contract wackiness is going on. They know that there have already been stories out there. That there is unhappy talent in the company, whether it's Revival or Mike and Maria or Hideo Itami or whoever the case may be, rumblings that, you know, there's there's NXT talent that's unhappy. So in the case here of a major star, a headliner, a main eventer, a semi-main eventer at worst, a headliner and main eventer at best, a major star, one-third of the shield, all of that, uh, I feel like that statement was just them trying to control the story. That was the most upbeat statement and it ends with oh we hope to see him we we look forward to seeing him back not we hope to or like we look forward to seeing him back in ww in the future in other words this is fine he just needs a break this is his home he'll be back this is where everyone wants to be this is where all our talent wants to be there's nothing to see here i mean that's how it struck me to me with them putting out that statement how did it come across to you so to me i i, I had a little bit less of like a theory that oh my god we got to control this message control you know yada 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 we got to like you know make positivity to this more that 
this is WWE.com and they have ads and they want to get the traffic to their website. Not to, they don't want you to go to PW Insider where you find out that other guys are leaving. They don't want you to go to, you know, PW Torch where you can read a bunch of other shit. They want you to just go to WWE.com to get your news because they figure you're going to look for it anyway. Why not have a source for it? Why not WWE.com be the source for it? Because if you look, if you go to Dean Ambrose WWE, if you just Google Dean Ambrose WWE, the second, the first things that come up are Dean Ambrose's profile on WWE.com. And the second thing that comes up is Dean Ambrose not renewing his WWE contract when it expires. That's the number two result that comes up after that is a deadspin article after that is a mirror article after that is a what culture article after that is you know a, a wrestling ink article like they want to be above those and they and they are and i think that's what i think is more than anything is that we're looking at this landscape of of 2019 that maybe they can't do anything about this so why the hell don't we get the traffic you know what i mean like looking at it from a web standpoint of like well fuck it i don't want people going to pw insider to find out about this news if it's news and and there's nothing else we can do about it and it's going to happen why don't we report it and like you said there's a little bit of controlling the message there where it doesn't have the quotes about him being you know frustrated by his creative direction and, and, and stuff which we'll talk about in a bit because that yeah. the pw torch article went into like specifics of why yeah. he's leaving this one did not so i think this was as you said a little bit of a two-parter of you know let's control the message a little bit by not having that sort of stuff in there and just say hey dean ambrose has decided not to renew his contract and we wish him best and he'll be back like that's kind of the wwe message where the torch is dean ambrose can't take the shit anymore and he's annoyed and he's getting out of there like that's right. the, there's a very different message there. So it works two parts. It works one in terms of getting the traffic to your website, and then two in terms of flowering it up a little bit, making it a little bit more of a positive, making it a little bit more of a mutual decision. And hey, we wish him best. Versus, dude wants to get out because dude doesn't like it. And that's what the other articles are are doing. The WWE.com article is not doing that. And I'll tell you what, their strategy worked because if you look around Twitter and places like that, you see people. Um, you know, like quoting the WWE statement because they put out a tweet too. Yeah. And saying, oh, well, this doesn't sound anything like what Torch said. Uh, Torch was full of shit. <laughs> right. Now, those are the dumbest people on earth. <laughs> right. The pro wrestling company must be true. <laughs> right. You, you, you believe the PR spin from the pro wrestling company who is has had nothing but bad PR over the last few weeks. Uh, in terms of talent being unhappy, like those, you are the dumbest person on earth. If that's how, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not sugarcoating this. Like those are the, but there's people. So my point here is WWE. That strategy has worked. They come up first in the search. Your common casual fan is going to click that because not only is it first in the search, Rich, it's to a casual fan the most reliable source because it is the source. Why would I not read it straight from the horse's mouth instead of from wrestling news with ten Z's? So people are going to click that. And they and like you said, it's it's a double. It, it, they're getting it. We're both right. They're getting the clicks, and they're giving their part of the story. So it works on both ends. They're smart to do this, and I think they're going to do this moving forward, particularly in the climate that we're in. But if you read the torch story, it's got quotes from his friends, and it's got you know uh, uh, quotes from people inside the company. And this was a dude who was very clearly not thrilled with the way he's been used in that company and this, you know, going back years, the direct quote was, uh, Dean doesn't like hokey shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's, here's kind of the exact quote. So the PW torch uh, report went to say, uh, sources tell PW torch that Ambrose has long, uh, has been long frustrated with the creative direction of his character and reached a breaking point recently. He's indicated to WWE management this weekend that he's not interested in negotiating further, further, and has made it clear that it isn't about trying to get, more money, which I think is another interesting part about it as well, is that we've heard from other reports as well that WWE has said anybody whose contract is up, anybody, if your contract is up soon, if it's up in a year, if it's up in six months, they are throwing a piece of paper in front of you and saying, hey, you want to stay? You want to go longer? And some guys have said yes, and some guys have said no. 
uh, Adolf Ziggler type as is but kind of been reported that he kind of said no to the initial extension but he's still good until I, I think a little bit you know to go uh, and Ambrose was another one of those guys that got that extension and said nope no thank you and pushed it away and is moving on so yeah it's not about money for some of these guys and indicated exactly from the sources tell that it's not about trying to get more money so you know WWE can can maybe beat people in these offers but for some people it's about creative direction and that's what we're seeing every report says that that's what Ambrose he's the hokey shit he's done with and he's long frustrated with the direction of his character so yeah and Mike Johnson had a report uh, today that I don't know if you saw but at the Smackdown tapings after all of this wild news broke uh, with Ambrose and, and and Tommy and all that they were taking talent into a back room um, that had that talent whose contracts are coming up in the next year or two which is key, I think, because they're not fucking around. I mean, two years is a long time. <laughs> right, yeah. Rich, Rich, AEW might not exist in two years. <laughs> right. You know, so they were taking talent into a room and trying to get, they're trying to get people to sign extensions so that they can continue to hoard this talent as long as possible to cut the legs off of AEW and Ring of Honor who's spending money now. So that's an important part of this too. And again, they don't want more of these Dean Ambrose situations because it looks bad on them the optics are terrible and not only are the optics terrible it gives other people on the roster ideas you, you know what i mean so and, and they don't want that to spread either but it was very clear that ambrose has been unhappy and now that now look he might just a lot of people are connecting him to all elite who knows i have no idea no one knows what's going through that guy's mind because he's nuts okay but it's like is it possible that because All Elite exists, somebody like Dean Ambrose now has the leverage to say, you know what, I, I, I don't have to keep quiet about the poor creative, that I, I don't have to keep quiet about uh, the shitty ways that I've been using, how I'm not happy about it, because I, I can go somewhere else and be creatively fulfilled because I've had seven-figure years. Johnson reported, Mike Johnson reported that they offered Dean Ambrose, uh, I, I think it was, I don't remember the exact years, I think it was three more years at just over one million dollars down five year joe this five is from dave melter dave melter the observer i think clarified dave it here okay yeah dean ambrose turned down a five-year deal with a quote downside of just over one million per year mm -hmm. oh shit so, <laughs> but here's the thing we know that dean ambrose has had years in that range yeah he's been a cha world champion and a main eventer okay so this is kind of what we've talked about before and kind of what i've talked about behind the paywall Guys, at some point, okay, maybe for an indie wrestler, that that's a life-changing offer, and you're taking that. Maybe for an undercard guy, you've never seen that kind of money. Dean Ambrose has seen that kind of money, and maybe he's got money in the bank, and his wife has a job in that company and makes decent money. Maybe he wasn't particularly moved by that. So you know what? I got enough money. What's the difference between you know, the 850,000 downside I was making and the seven figure years I had and, and, and a million one for the next five years, if I'm unhappy with my life. And that's going to be a big problem for WWE when it comes to the top people, because at some point, even though we all love money, it, it, unless you escalate it to a giant degree, it, it, you know, we've seen that in sports too, Rich where athletes will take a slightly lesser offer because they like the situation better. Right, it's right. It's not always about the total dollar amount. Yeah, a situation like, uh, you know, the big three Miami thing with, with, with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and, and Chris Bosh. All three of those guys could have made 
countless more money if they all went their separate ways, but they all said, Hey, let's cut a chunk out of our money. And so that we can all do this, that we can all come together and, and, and win titles. So it's kind of interesting. Right. Because yeah, at that level, cause, cause again, what's the difference at like, their- so LeBron, another $5 million, like, yes, $5 million is, I would take $5 million <laughs> tomorrow. Right. I would do anything for $5 million right now, but to LeBron, what the hell's $5 million for, you know, if he's going to get more personal fulfillment out of that, cause he's, he's going to make $30 million anyway. So what the hell's another five? Like it's, it's all perspective. Uh, in that sense, which I think is, is is definitely fascinating too. And the thing about Ambrose as well, I've seen a lot of people, and, and again, this might come across as like a straw man, but I think you've seen it a lot, and, and there's been a lot of reports about like, well, maybe Ambrose has just kind of lost his passion for wrestling. Maybe he's going to move on and do something else. Or maybe he's not going to pop up on AEW. Maybe he's not going to pop up in wherever, Ring of Honor or whatnot. To me, I don't buy that because I, I, the quotes have all been about his creative direction. It's not Ambrose lost the passion. Ambrose isn't really into wrestling anymore. It, there's nothing about what else Dean Ambrose wants to do the only quotes we've heard is that he's annoyed at his character and wants to move on and do other things. And that, that to me strikes me as this is not a guy who's, who's ready to kind of move on and, and, and climb mountains or do whatever the hell he's going to do with the rest of his life or, or, you know, not get out of wrestling. Like I don't read, I don't read that from him. I read that as a guy who said there's opportunities out there to make comparable money and, and get more fulfillment out of this thing that I love. So I'm going to do that. I could be wrong. I could be wrong that he just leaves in April and never appears and maybe does a few indie shots and then realizes he doesn't have the passion for it. But the fact that all of it has been centered around his creative direction and nothing else leads me to believe that that this guy's not done. This guy is working on that next step and wants to move on to that next step when, when his, his contract does expire. I think it's pretty clear that he doesn't feel he could be fulfilled in that company. He's just... I mean, we've talked about it for years. The rodeo clown... He's a rodeo clown. That's how he's been treated. I mean, he's had another subtle character change recently since he came back from the last injury. But he, it's funny. We talked about him squirting mustard and throwing popcorn at people and, and <laughs> wacky Dean Ambrose instead of that creepy edge that he used to have. And all along, he hated it too. It's just funny how that and, – and, and you kind of just had to swallow and take it then. And he made all his money over these last five years. And now he says he's probably – my gut instinct is he's got enough money to where he can finally say, fuck this. This isn't fun. What am I doing? You know, I have money in the bank. I got enough money for the rest of my life. Um, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's out there. Uh, I could be wrong. Again, I know nothing about him, but everything I've heard about him, he doesn't strike me as a guy who has a 20 car garage and is, uh, you know, buying diamonds and, uh, uh, you know, and, and has a house out on the Hamptons and a, and a winter house, uh, you know, on the French Riviera. He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. So uh, he's probably got a ton of money. He's got his nice little life with his wife. They seem happy and uh, he's not personally fulfilled and he's probably tired. He's always among the leaders and total matches worked and right, you know, right, right. all the time. And he's like, fuck this, you know? And, you know, maybe he's, he thinks to himself, I can go home and I can hang out for six months and fucking do nothing. And Cody Rhodes is not going to stop bringing my phone off the hook anyway. So if I feel like getting back in the ring or if I feel like, I, you know, I, those creative juices are flowing again, I got myself a nice little landing spot. Because if you don't think AEW would take him, I mean, you're nuts. I mean, they take him in a minute and they push him to the top. Yeah, Ring of Honor would do the same. Um, I'm yeah. sure New Japan would call. Everyone's going to call. Everyone, Everyone will call. call, yeah. And I, don't, and I don't care what you think of his wrestling, because I'm not a big fan of his wrestling. No, either. I never have been either. Like, I'll be honest. I'm not the biggest Dean Ambrose fan in the world. I'm not coming on to here and say, oh, my God, he's going to change the world, and I can't wait to him at AEW. Like, we're not the world's biggest Dean Ambrose fans, and, and I'm not either. I like the character a little bit. I, I think there's a lot of potential for the character, but I don't think in terms of in-ring, he's, he's really like this incredible, oh, my God, this free agent that everyone needs to fall over and get right away, but they're going to fall over and try to get him right away once he's available to, to the his, outside world because he's got his name. Phone will, his phone will not stop ringing, and they're all going to call him. Everyone we just named, they're all going to call him. 
and they're all going to give it a shot. And the thing about it is because he's allowing his contract to run out, he can walk into another company the next day. There's no non-compete. The non-compete is when you get cut. And then they pay you for 90 days to not work anywhere else. Okay? You don't even have to honor the non-compete. If, if you get cut and you want to take an indie booking the next day or go to Ring of Honor the next day, you can. Then you're not going to get paid for 90 days. You forfeit that money. Right. Okay? But no one's, you know, nobody does that because it's why would you not want to get paid to do nothing for 90 days? Of course you're going to take the downside. Uh, the 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 uh, the uh, the not compete the not the not, not compete yeah. yeah of course you're gonna take it for ninety days and 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 field offers for those ninety days and everything else and drive your price up but in this case his contract is simply running out he's free and clear at midnight of whatever the date his contract ends it's similar to what Daniel Bryan he would it, all that talk when his contract was running out is that he could have worked all in because it worked the timing worked out to where his contract would have run out. And then he could have just shown up at all in. It's the same thing here. So uh, if Dean Ambrose doesn't want to take, you know, a minute off, he can moonwalk into another company the next day if that's what he chooses to do, which is also why, Rich, he put in his notice right about at the three month mark. You don't want to put in notice six months ahead because then they could just cut you and pay you for 90 days instead of six months. So if you know you're going to quit, don't give your notice until you have about 90 days left. Then you're guaranteed to get paid for the rest of your contract. So that was slick on his part too. He may have made this decision a year ago. Yeah. He may have made this decision six months ago, or he may have made it last week. But the, the the smart thing to do is to not put in that notice until you have right about those ninety days left. And that's exactly what he did. He's been playing it well uh, from the entire way. I mean, and, and there's there's the you know, and WWE could have, and there, there's always been this thing where they have that contract freeze thing. They did it with Rey Mysterio, they did it with Daniel Bryan, where they can, you know, say, "Hey, you were out for X amount of days, so we're going to freeze your contract." But now is not the time to do that because they're, you know, t- and and I think that's a big reason. It tells you a little bit about the back, you know, what's going on in that company, and and, and maybe a little bit of the inner workings, a little bit of the morale level. Because if they did that, imagine if they, if Dean said, "Hey, I want my release," and they said, "No, you were injured for six months, so no, we're actually going to extend your contract for six months." Like the morale in that company, and they've done that before. They've done that with big. Time guys, they did it with Daniel Bryan, they did it with Rey Mysterio, and they largely got away with it because it's like, yeah, whatever, you know, I, I, who cares? But if they did it with a guy like an Ambrose, and I think it's telling that they did not do that with him, I think that that's that to me shows that they realize that they're already kind of on thin ice with a lot of these people, and it's best not to to rock the boat a little bit. And if this guy wants to go, forget it, whatever, let him go. But now work on the other guys, work on the people that you still have in there, and try to get them signed to these deals, and try to get them at least in some way happy and, and fulfilled again. Because yeah, it's it's been you know Canellis. Uh, the, the Canellises, I should say, uh, you know, the, the, the revival, there's been a lot of names here and I guess we'll get to the next one here. It's a nice little way to do this. Uh, Kenta, the former Hideo Itami is now back to Kenta, uh, both Fightful and PW Insider were the first to report it. Uh, the Hideo Itami had asked for and was granted his release from WWE this week following the SmackDown tapings. Uh, Fightful reported that the talk backstage was that Itami was unhappy with his creative direction. That seems to be a theme. Uh, and he will be under a 90 day no compete clause. Like you said, he could tomorrow show up in wherever and he'd be fine but he's just gonna go home and chill out and have 90 days and and probably get ready for whatever the 91st day he's ready to go whenever but you know this he doesn't he can just kind of chill and 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 go back to japan or or go do whatever he's gonna do but uh we'll get to it a little bit here but uh thoughts on kenta hideo itami uh asking for and being granted his release in this uh this atmosphere where people have not been getting the release the canalysis were not given the releases uh the revival were not given the releases there's been others that have been kind of rumored a little bit kenta was allowed to go Uh, why do you think he was well what I had heard was because he said he was going back to Japan. 
So I guess they figure, ah, fuck it. Who cares if this guy shows up at Noah to wrestle Cano? Right, um, right. And, and that was my theory as well, right. is why why he – because those other guys, you knew Mike Kanellis was going to waltz into All Elite or whatever, or, or Ring of Honor. He had both of those options to go back. The Revival, I mean, Jesus Christ, they were about to waltz, you know, moonwalk into AEW and main event, you know, double or nothing or whatever. So, of course, you're not going to let those guys go. But there must have been some conversation between Atami, Kenta, or whatever, where, he, where, where they were – we're led to believe that a he's not going to all lead or he's not going to ring of honor. And I think also going back to Japan, but not back to new Japan. I am led to believe I, I, I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but I have to imagine that he must've said, I'm going back to Noah. And they said, ah, fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. Knock yourself out, have fun in Noah. And maybe there's something in writing that says I get this release because I'm not, I'm going to processing Noah or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think, cause I think like we're looking at the level of talent that they're hoarding right now and not letting go anywhere. They would, they didn't want Mike fucking Canellis to go anywhere because they knew he was going to go to the competition. So the uh, Kenta has to be going back to processing Noah, right? That's so you, the only scenario. You just read a report that said he's, he has a 90 day non-compete, right? Right. Yeah, so maybe you're right. Maybe the deal, maybe both of those reports that we heard are true. Maybe they told them, okay, we'll grant you the release and we'll we'll put you under a 90, we'll pay you for 90 days under the condition that you don't sign with A, B, or C right out of the gate. Right. And, you, you, and maybe he has to forfeit that money, you know, if he does so. Um, I guess there's nothing stopping him from doing that. Look, I don't think this one, I don't get the sense that this one is AEW motivated. No, not at all. Now, now the Ambrose one, I think you can make an argument that it could be. I think the Ambrose one is just leverage in the workplace, like yeah. leverage among pro wrestlers that has never been there. I don't think that's one specifically AEW. I think it's just that, fuck, I can go to AEW. I can go to Ring of Honor, Hell New Japan's out there and the, looking for people and doing stuff in America. I think that's more, he's, the, the, the landscape is open to him more than it has been any point in the last five, six years or whatever that he's been there. Yeah, so I mean, and look, it, it could be where neither one of them are all elite motivated, but I think it's more likely that the Ambrose one could be. I don't see that. I think Hideo Tommy, I guess we don't have to call him that anymore, uh, which was a pain in the ass. To Thank call God. Him. Kenta. <laughs> Kenta's uh, back, baby. His Twitter's back to Kenta. The Instagram's back to Kenta. He's smiling again. My God, Kenta's back. I think that with the Kenta situation, this has probably been brewing for a while. And he was, and I think he saw that he was obviously going nowhere fast. Uh, he gained a lot of weight, which, um, you know, th- that could show that he stopped caring. Yeah. Right. I mean, he stopped going to the gym. Um, there's no way he's under two Oh five. Okay. Uh, my man's been eating some carbs. Um, those pancakes. Remember the IHOP pancakes? Maybe he got back to IHOP and, and really... Remember, he was posting about IHOP every day for a long time, and then he just stopped. Yes. But. Non-Americans love the IHOP. I can tell you that for, for certain. Um, listen, I love the IHOP. I know you're the Waffle House guy. <laughs> I don't hate IHOP. I just think Waffle House is better. So. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I'll never I turn down a pancake. I won't turn, uh, turn down a house of pancakes anywhere. I, don't, I, I, I love pancakes, man. I will eat pancakes anywhere. So. There's always something to eat at a place like that. You know, it's, it's, you know, so yeah, you can't, you can't turn down the breakfast food. Oh, I love, I love all day, like all day breakfast places. Do you have any, any diners around you that do that? Like the, cause we have like, obviously growing up in New Jersey, you probably had like, we have in Chicago, like the Greek diners. Oh like, yeah. It's owned by yelling Greek guys. They're always yelling at their staff. The staff's yes. always doing something wrong and uh-huh. he's always very nice to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, you just got done berating a 19 year old. Then he looks to you. Hey, how's your day? How's it going? Like, hey, what's up? And then like, and he's he, always a salt and pepper haired. Yes. Oh my God. He always, they're always the same age. They're yes. always the same always age. The same age. Always the same guy. <laughs> right. Slightly overweight, slightly overweight. Cause he, cause he lives in the diner basically. 
Yeah, they're uh, always there. You've never been there, and he's never not been there. Always so. there. He always the, is the one that's teach you. <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah, and you're right. And then he's yelling in Greek to the entire staff. Yeah, New Jersey's loaded with diners. Okay, I was going to say, you guys had the same thing. I love those, dude. There's nothing like eating fucking pancakes at like 2 a.m. or whatever. Oh, my God. And then like the idea that they have, I love the menus, too, because they have everything. Everything. Like, you want pasta? We got it. You want a fucking BLT? We got it. You want a pad melt? We got it. Any time of day. Like, you can order, it could be, we can go in there at 11 o'clock at night and you can get breakfast and I can get a four course meal with chicken parmesan and salad. (laughs) What the fuck? And and, and it's incredible. And and, and to answer your question, no, Texas doesn't have those. Oh, I would die. I would die. I love those. Those are my favorite things in the world. Because you know what's great about the diner, too? Is when you have that annoying fight with your girlfriend or your wife. What do you want to eat? No, I don't know. What do you want to eat? You pick. You pick. If you just go to a diner, everyone's happy. <laughs> because they literally have salads. They have Italian food. They have breakfast. They have burgers. They have hot dogs. They have everything. What does it cost? As, as a man who's worked in the restaurant business, isn't that like a, an insane cost to have all that stuff on hand at all times? It's not so much the cost. It's just the pain in the ass of having everything prepped and ready to make everything. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, how do you make chicken parmesan then also, like, banana pancakes? Like, what? what? Like, the same guy has to whip up my, like, you know, pancakes and hash browns and then also whip up my wife's chicken parmesan. Like, what? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Prime rib. And then the other guy gets prime rib. And then they also have, like, a full selection of fresh baked pies and cakes. Oh, of course. Always, yeah. So it's like... Who's doing all this work and how is all this prep work getting done? And do you have a thousand people in that kitchen right now? I have no idea how they do it. And it's never like bad either. It's always like solid. Like it's never great maybe, but it's always solid. It's never like you've had one of those meals and it's like everything's cold and everything feels fresh and tastes fresh and (laughs) tastes good. It's just amazing. Nothing in our diner is below three and a half stars. Like I don't know if anything hits five stars, but nothing is below three and a half stars. It's all like you just said. It's all good at minimum. No matter what page of that fucking menu you order on. <laughs> Seafood, you could order like a lobster tail with scallops. Like you can get anything. Yeah, tilapia, you know, tilapia with lemon capers and that's yes. there. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, and you like just- you said, the same dude is back there making all of it. Like <laughs> it's, it's inc- it really is incredible. You know, and, and it, it's, it's fucking wild. But anyway, no, we, we, we don't have those. Um, Kenta apparently enjoys them a lot. <laughs> I was going to say, Kenta has rediscovered them in America. So, um, But yeah, I don't see this one as particularly being all elite motivated. I think maybe he just saw the writing on the wall. He's been there since 2014. Mm-hmm. He's been there five years. It's been the, one of the most bizarre WWE runs I've ever seen. Like, you can look at Mystico and say, okay, he just fell on his face. That happens. We've seen guys fall on their face in that company. Okay, that's not um, something that's out of the ordinary. But when you look at Kenta's career, okay, Rich, he came into the company and his first feud was with the Ascension. And when he leaves the company, if I would have told you in 2014 when he came into the company and feuded with the Ascension right out of the gate, <laughs> that five years later, his final angle in the company, he was going to be managed by Arya Davari, and he was going to lose a match to Dragon Gate's Akira Tozawa on the fourth tier show, and then Arya Davari, his manager, was going to leave him laying in the center of the ring. You would have had me drug tested. It's incredible. Uh, and, and all the shit that happened in between, where every time he gained any, any semblance of momentum, another injury would put him on the shelf for nine months. There's a lot of people who think he was beating Kevin Owens for the NXT title in Japan the first time they went to Japan. Got injured. Nakamura shows up. 
Nakamura blows right past him in the pecking order, and his career never recovers. Comes back again from injury, has the awesome angle with Austin Aries, hits the first go-to-sleep he ever hit, gets an enormous pop, gets injured, and that feud is out the window. Austin Aries quits the company while he's hurt. Comes back, they throw him on 205 Live, and he's not stupid. He knows that 205 Live is the fast track to nowhere, and um, a million other... Remember, he was the first big international import that NXT... Yeah, huge, huge signing at the time. And during those interims where he was hurt, that kind of lost its cachet because they brought in Shinsuke Nakamura and all these other guys and La Sombra and all these dudes. And it just, it wasn't special. And he kept getting hurt and he couldn't get any momentum. And he leaves the company with his manager, Aria Davari. <laughs> of course, of course. Turning on him. Manager, just, Aria Davari, of course. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can't believe, I, I as you were going over this discussion, I was kind of like remembering the career of Atami. Joe, I was... I forget. I was at a takeover where he was in the main event going for the NXT title against Bobby Roode. And that was like two years ago. Like barely two years ago, a year and a half ago. That feels like centuries ago. It feels like centuries ago. And he had good matches. He didn't have any great matches in the company, but he had a lot of good matches in the Mm -hmm. company. They were so spread out because of the injuries that you don't really. That Roode match was pretty good. The the, the no DQ match against Mustafa Ali on 205 Live a couple of months ago was a great match. Um, You know, so he's, he's, you know, he had the tag team with with Finn Balor. I think they won the fucking Dusty thing Uh, or or came close. No, they won it. They they won it. They won it. They won it, I think. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it, it's like, but, but the injuries kept getting the better of him, and he never, it always felt It felt awful. weird. Yeah, it, it never, felt, never felt right. We, we talked about the first time when he came out and he started wrestling that he was cautious, that he that he wasn't quite feeling it, that you could tell that he was kind of thinking his way through it. And if I don't know if you remember, but there was a, between, before one of the takeovers, I forget which one it was, someone flat out asked Triple H, like, hey, what are your what are your thoughts on Hideo Itami so far in, in, in NXT? And and he was straight up like, hey, look, I'm, I'm a little disappointed by him. And, and we've been telling him, like, we hired you, be you. Be you, be Hideo Itami, be Kenta, be the guy we hired. But they said that, but then they also, you know, took away all of his moves. And then, you know, anytime he stiffed a guy, you could tell that he was like he felt really bad about it, or that he really was trying not to to do stiff kicks and really trying not to do stiff work. And and it, it reflected in his work. Where if you watched a Hideo Itami early NXT match and compared it to Noah Kenta, it was like, oh my god, this guy is. It's obviously that this guy is is worried about either ruffling feathers, stiffing guys, being too stiff, whatever it was, but he wasn't being himself. And it, it, it felt like there was times where maybe briefly he got out of that and felt like himself. I remember there was one match, I think maybe against, I forgot who it was against, maybe Tyler Breeze or something like that, where he just kicked the fuck out of him. And it was like, there we go. That's what we want. And then the next week he was right back to what he was before. And it felt like there was just like never, he could never get that momentum. He never could get back on track to the point where, you know, it, it, we're, we're talking, you know, he came in what, 2014. And now it feels like there was four or five years where it was just like, dude, the guy just kind of, did nothing like I it just ultimately feels like such a waste of of, of this guy's prime and in, in a lot of ways but yeah I don't know yeah it's um you know it was a very very weird awkward run it just wasn't a good fit for anybody his style wasn't a good fit for the company the company house style wasn't a good fit for him the injuries didn't help and um it seemed like he was very well liked I mean you know they announced he's leaving and you just it seems like everyone on the roster is tweeting out you know, uh, thank you, Kenta, taking pictures with him. It seems like he was very well liked in the locker room, um, which is a stark contrast to his reputation in Japan, where, you know, <laughs> right. he was known for being grumpy and beating the shit out of trainees. And, and, and this, but that's the, that's the guy I want back. I mean, you know, he might be past that point in his career. And, you know, he's clearly on the downside of his career. I personally think um, he peaked in 2009. I don't think he was ever the same. After that uh, big leg injury in 2000, 2009, he was on his way to being wrestler of the year. He injures his leg late in the year. I don't think he was ever the same after that. He's had good matches after that. 
But uh, Noah became uh, a funeral home after that point. And obviously, we just talked about the WWE run. Um, he's definitely a guy who has peaked already. I think his peak years were probably – his peak singles years, Rich, probably what, 2005 to 2009? Is that fair? I think that's fair, yeah. 2009, it all kind of – there was peaks after that or there was points after that where it was good, but sure. never never to that level. No, that, that was his peak both in Japan and then in America as well. That, that 2005 to 2009 is when he was really doing stuff uh, with Ring of Honor, really being one of the best wrestlers in the world, in the world, in that sense, where he was doing stuff in both Japan and America and, and all across the world. So, yeah. Well, Rich, it's crazy because we're coming up on another decade, but he was my wrestler of the decade from 2000 to 2009. I thought he was uh, best wrestler in the world over that decade because you've got the ta- you got the tag team at Marafuji for the first three or four years, and then you've got the singles run from 05 to 09 uh, for the second half of the decade. And to me, he was the wrestler of the decade. Um, and I can't believe looking at the calendar that, you know, th- Polls like that are going to be happening. I know. I, geez, it, I guess I got to get ready for that, huh? And, and you know, and, and and that this current decade really carries through the history of this show, starting in two thousand. This show started two thousand twelve, so this show has really covered the vast majority of this decade um, as we age slowly, uh, burning all of these hours uh, doing this stupid show. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I could obviously everyone's talking about Noah. Here's the thing with Noah. I would love to see him go back to Noah. I really would. They've had like three ownership changes. Since yeah, well, we should say that is, I think the timing is is convenient or, or I don't want to say suspect. That's not the right word. But they did just go through new ownership like this last week. Um, I don't buy that he's just going to go back to Noah. Okay, I don't know. I, I, mm, Here's, I don't know. I'll tell you why I don't think so. And you make yeah. it count. They've had like three ownership changes since he left. It, like, it's a completely different regime. It's there's been three different regimes, and this new regime coming in is changing everything. They're changing the color of the mats. They're getting oh, how of- pissed are you about the mats? I know you're. I like. I don't know that I care all that much, but I know you're livid about that. Right? I'm annoyed about it. They're changing the logo. They're changing the color of the mats. Here's the thing: the color of the mats are not the reason Noah's struggling. Okay, <laughs> right. okay, that's not the fucking reason. And and distancing yourself from Masawa isn't going to fix everything. And I don't know why you'd want to distance yourself from Masawa. It doesn't make any sense. You, it, it, if you, it's not the color of the mats, Suzuki. That's the guy's name. I don't know his first name. Okay, it bothers me. Do I think it's like? Uh, look, it won't feel like Noah if you have a new logo and the mats aren't green anymore. And you're, it's essentially a new company at that point. If that's what the new owners want to do, they're well within their rights. But my point here, as it relates to Kenta. What's his loyalty to these guys? Right. What's his when he left? It was still like Taue, like as president or whatever, and like Marafuji and all these people who were in charge. And now we've gone through three different ownership groups since then. We had New Japan. We had the company that New Japan was doing business with. We got that company now selling to this company. I mean, I, I that it's essentially not the same company he'd be going back to. So I'm not saying he's not going back to Noah, but I don't necessarily agree with this idea. That that is just his auto destination. And here's the other thing. He left Noah to begin with because there was no upward career mobility and it was stagnant and it was struggling. What has changed? What would make him want to go running back to Noah now when it's arguably in a worse spot than it was when he left? 
Right. I, the only thing that I can think of, and the only reason why I think the timing is is interesting, is it's perhaps that they called him, and and, and maybe they're giving him an office job. Maybe he's yeah. becoming. They're saying, "Hey, look, we, we we're trying to rebuild Noah. We're the new owners. Let that old shit in the past, because that might actually be a boon for them." Is hey, yeah, I know there was this shit in the past. Yada yada yada. We're a new chapter right now, and we want you back because you were one of the legends that that helped build this company and helped get it to where it is, or whatever. You know, and and here's a cushy office job in addition to being a wrestler. You can be the head of trainer. You know what I mean? Like there, I don't know. I don't know the specifics of it. I just can't imagine. Imagine that one day, randomly, Atami decided, ah, you know what? This is the day now. I'm going to ask for my release, and and it just seems a little too, co- you know, coincidental that it is the week where Noah undergoes, you know, a complete transformation in terms of ownership, and it seems like an aggressive ownership in terms of trying to change things and, and, and get everything in the right direction. Which you know, every new ownership is going to say the same thing, and they're always going to be, you know, really Uchida when he came in. Everybody was like, oh my god, Uchida's back, and this is going to be great, and he's going to do this, and Noah the reborn, and, and all this sort of stuff, and it, it, it does that. But I have to imagine that maybe the Maybe they made that call thinking, hey, what's what's the worst that can happen? We'll call him and see what happens. And he said, yeah, you know what? You're right. There's not much going on for me here. I, I'm willing to come back if, if under these circumstances. I want this. I want that. I want that. Because he he comes from a place of power. Uh, again, it, we talk about yeah. this again where he comes now from a place of power. Like, hey, you know, you guys want me back? Well, cool. I can call, you know, the Bucks. Or I can call, you know, Ring of Honor. Hey, I, I can, can call. call I can call my boy Shibata. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, the, at the dojo, of course. You know, so yeah, it is a position. And here's the thing: he just went there in, in September, and what would they draw? What six thousand fans to Sumo Hall? Yeah, for his right. main event against Marafuji or whatever it was. So it's like he even has that uh, bit of leverage too, where he can say, "Hey, look, you guys, you know, you struggle to put a thousand people in Cork and Hall. And, you know, I'm out here, and you're running Sumo Hall when I come to town. So, um, you know, that's another piece of leverage that he has with Noah. I'm just listen. I don't know. I don't see it as the same company he left. And I don't see from his perspective why he thinks – I mean, it, it It seems like he's right back in the same place he was five years ago in a company that's not – that's just not doing well unless this ownership group, like you say, reached out to him and said, hey, look, this is the money we've got. This is what we're putting behind it. We want to make you a centerpiece. We want to give you an office job like your boy uh, you know, Marafuji, whatever the case may be. I could see that too. Look, if I had to, if I had to handicap it right now, yeah, I think Noah's the favorite, obviously. You know, that's the easiest landing spot and the most convenient one and the obvious one. Do I think it's a lock? I do not. Yeah, I don't think it's a lock either. I just think, yeah, if I if I was a betting man, I would put the highest odds on Noah, but you know, the world's his oyster right now, and there's a lot of opportunities out there. So listen to everybody, man. Don't you know there's no need uh to jump right to one. But uh yeah, good time for him to leave and and I'm excited to see what he does. Like like you said, I think we're if we're kind of hoping for 2006 or 05 to 09 Kenta coming back, I don't think that that person is going to be there. But I think what we're going to get is a little bit more of what we got that Marafuji match where it yes. just feels comfortable. It's like, ah, that's that's what he's like. No, he's not going to go out there and have incredible match to your level matches. Maybe. I don't know. Like, but but it just feels like, ah, that's a guy who just feels OK in his own skin again. Well, yes. He never felt that as Hideo Itami. He always felt like he was Kenta playing a character named Hideo Itami, and not when when he came out there on that Noah in the green ring or whatever it was against Marufuji. He was able to throw some stiff kicks and and yeah. throw a good looking drop kick. It was like, yes, he's back. Like that's that's the guy. Like he might not gonna he's not gonna be the top top tier wrestler, the wrestler of the decade anymore. But he's gonna feel comfortable again, and that's that's what I think a lot of us are looking forward to. Yeah, the injuries have taken a toll, but I, you know, I like that match a lot. I liked it more than pretty much anyone, but I had emotional investment too. And that always, you know, uh, you know, it's my favorite wrestler of all time. I mean, you know, I've said it many times. I don't think I said it this week, but that's my favorite wrestler of all time. So there's an emotional investment that was there to watch him wrestling Marafuji and just to see Noah in a big building again. Yeah. And, 
just the energy that it had. So I, I think that he can still deliver with the right opponent in the right situation. And I don't think he's a bad, like he's not, he's not Tajiri at this point. No, no, no. Yeah. We're or like, we're not saying he's toast. It's just like, it, it hasn't felt, it's been a comfort thing more than anything with him. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to him feeling okay in his own skin again. So that'll be uh, pretty fun. But um Let's get to uh, some other WWE stuff as well uh, while we're uh, talking uh, about WWE. They, of course, had a huge weekend with TakeOver and the Royal Rumble. We're going to start with TakeOver and then work our way to uh, the Rumble. Uh, But overall thoughts on TakeOver Phoenix uh, before we go match by match here. Uh, Obviously, the Saturday show, I think uh, a much better show than Royal Rumble. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it was an altogether great TakeOver. I enjoyed a lot of stuff about it. We'll talk about some of the matches. But I think all in all, there's been a lot of TakeOvers that I've liked a, a lot more than this one. It was a very good show, and I would agree there were a lot of takeovers that were better than this one. Um, the standard's so high would take over. But yeah, I do think it was a very good show. I mean, there were... <sighs> there were two matches here that I, 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 I really, really... Well, there was one match that I thought was fucking awesome. I, I thought Gargano Ricochet is a match of the year. Contender. Yeah, okay, that's that's the one that I that really jumped off the page of me. I uh, was very very close to doing the whole five on that guy, but I uh, <clears throat> ended up doing four point uh, seven uh, four and three quarters uh, for that one because it just didn't quite get me on that level there. But that match is incredible. That's a match of the year contender for sure. Yeah, I, w- I was the same. I went uh, four four seven five on uh, Gargano Ricochet, and then I thought the tag opener and the main event were right around four. So those were very good matches, too. Um, I didn't like the tag opener as much as a lot of people did. Why don't we start there, then? Um, what do you think? That. War Raiders winning the titles from Undisputed. Um, I thought it was good, but not great. And, and I saw a lot of people that really, really loved that match. And and, and, and watching it, you know, I watched it a, a day after because uh, I was just busy. I was busy doing stuff. Me and my buddies have a, uh, a yearly thing where we all get together and play video games pretty much the entire day. It's like an arcade day, we call it. It's, it's very nerdy. And uh, it took me away from watching wrestling, which is equally nerdy. But uh, so I had to watch it the next morning or whatever. And some of the thoughts, you know, some of the, the, the reactions from this match was like, oh, my God, this match is incredible. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I was really excited for it. And I don't think I don't know that it was quite like a victim of expectations. I just don't think it hit me on that level that it hit for other people. That's not to say it wasn't very good. I think I went four and a quarter. I think I went with it. Yeah, four and a quarter with it, so, which means really good. But I saw some people calling it like match the night match of the year contender all that sort of level i don't know that it was quite that for me it was it was it was it was good but 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 not great yeah i thought it was very good four four and a quarter sounds about right um but i do think it was a victim of expectations for me because i didn't watch it live and people were just going ape shit about this match and then i had certain expectations in my head just based on the way the two teams work and um it just didn't meet what was in my head so that may have hurt it for me a little um but yeah i mean it was an excellent match um you know, without question, I think probably the second best match of the night for me. I liked it a little bit better than the main event, uh, which we'll get to. We had Matt Riddle defeating Cassius Ono. This went nine minutes. Um, you want to talk about Ono a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about Ono a little bit. Uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. One of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. I'd be perfectly fine if I never saw Cassius Ono in a match ever again. Um, that is a heavy statement, my friend. I, okay, well, then let me interview you. Okay. Are you saying he's a bad wrestler? No. Are you saying his skills have declined? Yes, to slightly. I don't want to say full on they've declined, but but slightly, yes, he has declined. Okay. Do you think his weight is a hindrance? Yes, point? my God. And I'm not. I'm not a. Everybody has to be in shape, and there can't be fat right. guy wrestlers. But he's 
it, it's it's a hinder. I don't. It, the look of him is just. It, it, it. I'm not that type of guy. I don't care if you're a big dude. I do not care if you're a big wrestler. I, big wrestlers are fine. I don't give a shit. I would like more fat dudes in wrestling, really. But it, it's it's. I think it's actively hurting his in ring work. Knowing what he's capable of, and then seeing what he's doing, and just the look, the basketball jersey with the trunks. It just looks like absolute shit. And it's just, oh my god. And I do. I really do think it is. And that's one of the the issues. Is like he's taking away from from what I think is just an incredible career because he is one of the greatest wrestlers. You know, we talk about independent wrestlers. He's, he is far and away, you know, if you did an indie hall of fame, you know, Chris hero would have to be one of your, 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 you know, one of your first guys in there. I think he absolutely is that, but it's just like, you look at him now and he's just like, he, it's a sloppy weight too. You know what I mean? Like there's fat guys and there's guys that gain weight, but it's like for him, it's just a sloppy weight. And it's just, and, and I, I don't, it, it is, it's hindering him. It really, really is. And it, it, it hurts me to say that because, because he is a nice dude. He's a really good guy. And I know there's health related issues that, that are causing it, but it's just, it's sad to see, man. I don't know. It, it really, it's just disappointing in, in a lot of ways. It, it, it hurts me to see him in the ring. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe. I think that when he came back to the company, coming off that incredible indie run, I said on this show, it's over. Chris Hero's done. And he's never coming back. Um, because my stance on that was he wasn't going to get the same opportunities to have those kind of matches that he was getting on the indie scene where he was treated like a main eventer and getting all the time he needed and getting creative freedom. I kind of knew that this is what this run was going to be like. I mean, we said it at the time. We called it. We said he's going to be a gatekeeper. He's not going to be doing anything important. And I'd be stunned if he's ever on the main roster. I think he's there to do exactly what he's doing, which is to feud with people coming in, put them over, move them along. I don't know that he's incapable of having the matches that he had in 2016 or whatever it was. I don't know if I'm willing to go as far, quite as far as you are, but I know that we're never getting them again because he's just, they're just not going to put him in those positions. So from that perspective, would it bother me if I never saw Chris Hero wrestle again This in this state? Now, look, these matches aren't bad. I mean, I thought this was a good match. Oh, it, it was good. Yeah, I won about three three and a quarter for this match. Three and a half. Yeah. But this is what you want out of Cassius Ono and Matt Riddle. But see, this is what you're going to get out of Cassius Ono and Matt Riddle because you're expecting Matt Riddle and Chris Hero. Chris Hero's gone. He's dead. It's over. You're not getting that. What you're getting now is the William Regal stage of his career. That's what he is. How often did William Regal have match of the year contenders? The answer is never. The reason being is he was never put in that position, and he was never in that part of the card. He never got that sort of time. But William Regal went out there every time and gave you these great efforts and oftentimes had these awesome little TV matches or Good nine-minute pay-per-view matches like this like this match was, a nine-minute takeover match. Cassius Ono is late career William Re- really entire career William Regal. That's what he is now. It, it, it's Chris Hero died when he came back. That was it. It was over. That was sort of the rub to that. We were all happy to see him get back into the company, but we knew that that run, that's it. That was mm-hmm. the pinnacle, and we were never getting it again. He's William Regal now. And there's nothing wrong to me with being William Regal and going out there and having good technical matches that are well-worked and putting people over and really never getting pushed past the mid-card. Yeah, it's... it's. But you don't want to see that. 
I don't. Yeah, it's just, and for me, that's it's probably a personal thing more than anything. It's just like yeah. this is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. A guy that I think uh, that you know, I was there firsthand for that that second indie run. A lot of it, like, I was there for the first run uh, in his indies a little yeah. bit, but the second run, like one of his biggest spots was AEW. So I was going there every single week and and, and seeing him just have awesome things with Pentagon and awesome matches with whoever, and every single week seeing it and and showing new fans him and being like, and guys being like, oh geez, he's a little out of shape, and I'm like, yeah, just wait until he does. And then you know, two minutes into the match, nobody gives a shit how his weight is because he's did a kip up and then he just did a spinning elbow and it looked fucking awesome and he's having a great match or whatever so it was fun watching that experience and knowing that that when he signed it that was going to be all over and it's just like the the jersey with the tights he just looks like crap he's the weight is just gotten out of control it's like a sloppy weight and i just don't he's just i don't like him anymore i don't like him as a wrestler anymore and that that pains me it's like what you know similar to what you have with the tommy a little bit where it's just like dude when this is one of your favorites and he's just not good anymore it just hurts you kind of just wish they would retire you, you know you just don't want to see the late career you don't want to see uh, you know willie mays on the mets <laughs> and that's what we're doing right now we got willie mays on the mets and it's no, like see, i was gonna make the same analogy but see i don't think he's willie mays on the mets you know it's like i i think what you need to i'm gonna try to reel you back in okay please do i think you need to learn to appreciate the nine minute tv match and I think. Can he get pants? If he can get pants, I'm in. I can't help you with the aesthetic. The Jersey trunk thing's got to go. That's got to go. I can't help you with the aesthetic. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I, I don't think he's Willie Mays dropping fly balls in 1972 for the Mets. You know what I think he is? I think he's late career Tim Raines, who is the best guy off the bench on a World Series okay. team. Is that better? It, it helps a little Tim bit. Rain, the Tim Raines run with the Yankees. Yeah, the yeah, Rock, of course. Yeah, the yeah. Rock Raines run. How about that? When he became Rock Raines all of a sudden. Okay. You know, where he was, you know, playing, where he's getting 350 at-bats for the Yankees and still was a two-war player somehow. That's what I think he is. You think that's a better comparison than – because I don't think he's Willie Mays dropping fly balls and, and, and hitting 220. Right. He's not embarrassment. He's just not great anymore. And I think that's – okay. I, I, that, that helps a little bit. Rock Rain is one of my favorite players of all time, so that does, that does help. And he had a great second career as, you know, the top guy off the bench. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of it. I saw a little bit of his, his late career in the, in the White Sox too. Uh, you know, he, he was there for – And he could start for a month and not hurt you right. if someone went down and – and it was a great pinch hit weapon off the bench and could still run a little bit, played good defense. I All right. Think that's what, I think that's what Ono is. He's sort of the – he's a guy on the NXT bench who can be a jack of all trades. He could be a baby face. He could be a heel. He can go out there and have good TV matches. And it's really not his fault that he's not put in a position. It's not his role anymore to go out there and headline a takeover and have a four-and-a-half-star 20-minute match. And I'm not sure I'm ready to hold that against them because I don't see a decline in performance. Does that make sense? It does. Yes. Have I helped you at all? You have. Just I really wish you would get pants. <laughs> it's just the aesthetic is terrible. But I'm with you. That that has helped a little bit. I am I'm off the ledge. Okay. I do want to see Cassius Ono again. I just want him to acquire pants. So okay, that's good. Thank you. I needed this. So Matt Riddle moving on and moving up. Um it's time for NXT to call some motherfuckers up so we can freshen up the top of the card. But I guess we have time to talk about that in a minute. Yes. Let's do Johnny Gargano Ricochet. I thought this was fucking awesome. It's arguably the best match I've seen this year. Um, 
they killed it. I think they went a little too long, which is why it did. I that's why that's where the five went away for me. I was just like, guys, wrap it up. And then they wrapped it up. I was like, no, nah, you had it. You just kind of you just went like four minutes too long, like the slightest amount too long for sure. Yeah, uh, that's my only critique. I thought the work was spectacular. I don't think it was good. I thought it was I thought the work was spectacular. I, I did, which is why, you know, if they would have hit their timing a little better, um, you know, if they would have finished at the peak a little better, I would have went five on this. And um, yeah, this was Johnny Gargano and Ricochet at their best. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much more praise I could heap on it. I just loved every second of this until they went a little bit too long at the end. Yeah, this is a match that you absolutely have to watch. If you have not seen this, you have to watch it. Uh, Ricochet plays the hits in a lot of ways. I mean, this this felt like the best of Ricochet and Osprey, the best of Ricochet versus you know Kotobushi. Any any Ricochet match that you can think of, any classic Ricochet match, you had all of those markings in there. And then Johnny Gargano brings the goods too. I mean, just incredible stuff with the Gargano escape, like just just great stuff. You know, great transitions, just unbelievable action. Ricochet jumping over the the corner to lay out Gargano. I mean, just so much emotion. So so many great near falls, so many great teases in this match. I mean, so much great athleticism, just fucking great. This is just an awesome, awesome match. But like you said, they just went a little too long. And when the finish was over, I kind of had that, oh, I'm glad it's over now type of thing versus like, holy shit, that was like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the moment when it's over and you're just like, oh man, like, ah, it's just not, it doesn't feel how it would have felt. And there was a few points watching it because I watched it semi unspoiled. I kind of had an idea who was going to win, but, but not all the way uh, and i didn't know how the finish was going to happen so so watching it, i'm like oh this is it this is the finish and then it wasn't and then i was like all right that's fine they fine and they did it like a few too many times and then like then they finally did finish i was just like no ah, like damn it you just missed it like you just missed being just a perfect match but uh all told i mean yeah any criticism i can levy are, are are very low because yeah i went four and, and, and three quarters with this just uh an absolute must watch and, and an early uh notebook match for for anybody here the one critique I was seeing was that for the first half or quarter of the match, they were really just going through the motions. And I, I disagree with that strongly. I think there was a clear story in the first half of this match of Ricochet being one step ahead of Gargano and Gargano being frustrated about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm surprised to see that. Yeah, because I think that was, and, and, the, and the commentary was kind of going with that story too, where Gargano's got so many other things he's worried about, and he's got his mind on on Champa, and he's got his mind on 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 you know his wife, and he's got his mind on this. Where Ricochet, he's all he's got one focus here, and that's keeping the U.S. title. So no, I I, I did notice that a little bit, or the North American title, not the U.S. title. I, I did like that it was a little bit more of that. So that was kind of the beginning was, was kind of the Gargano trying to find himself. Uh, and then you kind of see halfway through the match, he kind of gets himself and he kind of understands it and he gets a little bit of an edge to him too. And I think that it was enjoyable too, where they were playing up the, okay, what, and, and I don't love that story a lot when they're doing it, but the Gargano trying to figure out, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he a guy that's going to use the exposed concrete or is he a guy that's not going to use it? And I like that they kind of play that up a little bit, but I think after that first part of the match where he was trying to kind of figure himself out, once he realized, no, fuck it, I'm Johnny Gargano the asshole, I think it was, it was, they told a very coherent story from then on. So, no, I, I, I did not see that same criticism at all. Yeah, I thought that story in the early portion of the match was obvious, but I did um, see that complaint. So, to me, that's another reason why I went so high on this because I thought they told a cohesive story. Uh, throughout the match, and then yeah, obviously the work and some of the spots were incredible. So yeah, I, I love the fucking match. As we move on to, uh, I, I do want to say real quick. Not sorry, not to interrupt, but uh, one thing is, and, and I don't love the melodramatic Johnny stuff. We've talked about it all a lot, but 
he is so good and they're so good at the callbacks. Like I love the, the exposed concrete. Like he's trying to do oh, the DC yeah, yeah. and then he decides, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, that. That was that, you know, <laughs> that's the old Johnny. And then the new Johnny, I, you know, no, 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 I don't need that stuff anymore. And then it almost cost him. He almost loses again, just like he did against Ciampa uh, all those months ago was awesome. And then him later just saying, fuck it. You're going through the concrete, which was, Oh my God. I just like, you know, I, I don't love the, why am I so evil? The conflicted Johnny, the new Johnny, old Johnny stuff. But if I did love it, it's just like next level great stuff. You know what I mean? And then there's times where even though I don't like it, they do little spots like that where I'm like, damn, man, you know what I mean? Like, it's so cool when you just do these subtle little things. And it, it like, they didn't have to scream about it either. You know what I mean? The subtlety hammer wasn't like, oh my God, that's exactly what cost him the match against Ciampa. It was just like a little nod that you're like, oh yeah, okay. That's, yeah. that's you know, that that little bit of thought, that little bit of conscience, you know, cost him one of the most important matches he had his entire career. And it almost happened here again. And it's just these little nods that really rewards you for following the entire story or following a guy's career. So. Something that NXT does just wonderfully. Yeah, and um, again, I, the, the storytelling slash psychology was solid throughout the match. I really don't understand that critique. Um, okay, so Shayna Baszler defeats Bianca Belair, hands her the first L, uh, breaks up the undefeated streak. Defeated <laughs> and defeated. Emphasize the duh. Undefeated, um, Bianca Belair. Um, now look, the first half of this match, I thought was. Um, not great. It was bad. Just say it. It was bad. It wasn't great. Um, I thought they really saved it by the end, and I loved, loved the finish. I thought the finish did a ton for Bianca Belair. You know I'm a huge Bianca Belair fan. And with that said, and everyone who listens behind the paywall, I rant and fucking rant about how the, 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 the upside of Bianca Belair whenever she's on NXT. Um, but as I said last week with you, I thought this was a huge test for her. This is a big spot against another somewhat green opponent. So a big test for both of them. And I thought that the match structure was smart, whoever laid it out, because they really kept it simple early on, which is what you needed to do in a match like this. I thought they were in a tough spot following Gargano Ricochet. So the crowd was very quiet, but... The match layout was very simple early on, and they didn't really give the fans a ton of reason to get behind it. When they hit the finish, which was very much designed for the fans to get to rally around the babyface, the fans did get behind it. Mm-hmm. So credit to both of them, because they nailed the finish under very tough circumstances and did get the crowd to rally beyond, behind Belair, who started the fight out of the choke and then died again. And I thought the finish was tremendous, and that it was one of those losses that felt like a win. So that's how the match came off to me. I cannot call it a great match. I'm not even sure I can call it a, a good match because um, it was very messy. But I think at the end of the day, they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. And they really got the finish over exactly the way they needed to. I have similar thoughts to you in, in the sense that I, I thought the first half of the match, you know, I, you were saying not good. I thought the first half of the match was really bad. And one of my concerns going in, and I mentioned it last week, was Bianca Belair not really being quite ready for that spot. And I know they kind of ate me on that pre-show. I forgot who said it. It was Roberts or whoever was there. Oh, I'm getting into that when you're done. Yeah, go ahead. And to me, it wasn't about like the storyline if she's ready or yada, 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 anything like that. I just wasn't. This is a huge spot for her. And, and, And I thought we maybe got a little ahead of ourselves in terms of her being like this, this takeover level star and this thing because like you, you know and, and that's not to say that i don't think she's she is going to be good like she is going to be great i mean w- w- when they all kind of put the pieces together she is going to be great but 
I was worried that maybe she was a little too much, a little too soon for her. And I think that maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves with this because the level of takeover matches is high. I mean, the, 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 the yeah. standard is very, very high. And I think you saw initially when she came out, I think you could even see it in her face that she was overwhelmed by this moment. This is somebody who does t- taped takeover, you know, TV matches and, and they're three minutes long or whatever, where, you know, and, and that's kind of the style of work that she's been doing. You could tell that she was a little overwhelmed at the beginning and, and you could see it in the work too. The work wasn't crisp. The work wasn't good. She wasn't very convincing. The crowd I wasn't getting behind her. She would do her chance, but there didn't feel like there was all that much behind it. And she felt she looked scared to me. And I, I get it. I'd be fucking terrified too, you know, well, in front again, of that crowd. Again, too, was a tough spot because think about this too. When has she ever worked as a baby face from underneath? Exactly. Right. And, and and it reflected that way at the beginning. But I'll give her all the credit in the world. And again, it's a little bit of a sign of how good she's going to be when it all comes together is by the last half of the match. I think once they realize, okay, we're in the home stretch here, let's go home. And then when she could be kind of the valiant baby face and, and, and you know, staving off Duke and, and, and Shafir and, and getting out of the rear naked choke and, and getting ready for the 450 and doing that sort of stuff, then you saw her kind of come alive. Once she stopped thinking and just started kind of doing, you saw the, old, the, the Bianca Belair that we all know that she can be come out a little bit. And, and the last half of the match, I really liked. I think Baszler, to me, passed the test with flying colors. I think the first half of the match, while not being good, I think she was as good as she could be in that. Whereas the second half of the match, I thought Baszler was fucking great. And she is so good at closing stretches. I don't think there's anybody, any woman on the roster, male, you know, any woman, you know, main roster or, or NXT that is as good at closing stretches as she is. I mean, she just makes that rear naked choke look like a million bucks and the way she drives it in and screams and, and, and snarls and she's spitting. It's just, Oh my God, it's so and good to all the submissions. Yeah. And, she's so good at that stuff. Just so over as a heel. That, that helps, too, because she's such a nasty uh, heel that's just impossible to root for. Um, now, as far as the Sam Roberts stuff, okay? And so it was Sam Roberts. I forget who, who said that. It was him. Okay, so it was Sam Roberts, and he's getting piled on <laughs> by people. First of all, what he said on the pre-show was the only interesting thing to ever happen on that pre-show panel in the history of the pre-show panel. It was the most interesting moment by a mile. Joe, I'll be honest. I didn't know they had an NXT pre-show panel. <laughs> I did, never knew that they did that, but okay. It's just four dopes who say nothing. That's all these pre-show panels ever are. Okay? They're a waste of time. And Sam Roberts saying basically what you just said. Bianca Blair isn't ready for this. Uh, shouldn't deserve to be in this spot yet. She's no Sasha Banks. She's no Asuka. She's no Charlotte Flair. Um, and I don't think she... It was finally, finally for once, someone said something provocative on that dopey pre-show that, that you, that's, that's worth paying attention to, okay? That's number one. Number two, the two dopes that were up there with him, I don't remember. It might have been Charlie Caruso. I know the other one was Pat McAfee for sure, okay? I, I, it may not have been Charlie Caruso. I can't remember who the other person was. The two dopes on the panel with him didn't go with the bit. You're supposed to debate him at that point. And and they both just sat there with their stupid WWE faces. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. 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 I can't believe you're saying that. Wow. Like, to, set, to beat him. Pat McAfee. They gave him a contract. They're paying you to be provocative. That's what you've done ever since you retired from the NFL. It was Charlie Caruso and Pat McAfee, in case you're curious. So. Okay. Forget her because the host, whether it's Caruso or it doesn't matter. It could be Caruso or Dasha or you know, it doesn't fucking (laughs) Kathy Kelly. It's just yeah, McAfee. I'm gonna bury him because they hired him because he's supposed to be good at this, and he just left Roberts out to dry and didn't debate him, didn't counter his points. That was a chance for a really interesting segment 
and they left uh, Roberts out to dry and, did, and they're just, wow, oh, wow, can't believe you're saying that. Wow. Argue with them. Think on the fly. That's why they hired you. You're a creative guy. You're quick on your feet. That's why they brought you in. Okay? So they left him out to dry. Here's the other thing. Everyone said, oh, it's Sam Roberts. How, how dare he disrespect <laughs> the fucking story somewhere. of the match, you idiot. It's wrestling, you fucking <laughs> morons. It's also the story of the match. It's a work. Oh, God. It's a work, you fucking idiots. <laughs> Who cares if he's disrespecting her? It's not real. <laughs> and that's the story of the match. And on top of everything else, Rich, did you watch the clip? Did you watch it or not? I did, yes. Okay. Did you notice that awkward 15 seconds where nobody was talking and Sam Roberts was like looking up into the air? They were telling him to say it in his earpiece. (laughs) It's not even his words. They got in the earpiece and told him to bury Bianca Belair. Why are you getting on Sam Roberts' case like he's this rogue who decided to bury this poor wrestler, for to bury the person? Because here's the thing. You're allowed to bury the wrestlers. It's wrestling. They're characters. I can't believe the shit I'm seeing. It's, it's amazing. And then if you don't think it was a work, okay, you got your proof in the post-match promo by Bianca Belair when they brought it up to her and she said, "Kiss my, Mr. Sam, kiss my ass. It's a work. It's part of the match story. And they turned it into to, to the part of the fucking story. It's a work, you morons. Get off Sam Roberts' case. He's doing his job. Pat McAfee and Caruso didn't. They were supposed to banter with him, and they didn't. It was obviously an on-the-fly decision. You see him pause, and everyone stopped talking. Sam Roberts isn't used to that. He's not fucking Michael Cole. Okay? Someone got in his ear, and he froze. All right, someone was screaming. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah, Mick Foley will talk about that, where he just, at times, you would hear him when he was doing SmackDown, and Vince is screaming at him, or you would hear Foley not say anything for, like, you know, two minutes while he's trying to comprehend what's going on while someone's screaming in his ear. It's not easy. Robert's middle yeah. of one thought, and then he stops talking. <laughs> and then st- okay, he's a radio guy. He does fucking morning radio for a living where there's no one in your ear telling you what to say. Okay, he's not used to that shit. So then he went with it and did what he was told. The other two dopes didn't respond to it because they froze. It just goes to show you, if there's one organic moment where they change something on the fly. <laughs> Everybody loses their fucking mind. Fucking robots know what to do. Roberts doesn't know enough to talk through it, and the other two goons don't know to go with the bit. Go right. with they, the bit! They didn't program Charlie Caruso to respond to that, so she had nothing to say. <laughs> go with the bit, for God's sake! Yeah. Why did, you, why did you give Pat McAfee a contract if he doesn't know enough to go with the bit? That's what it's supposed to be his strength. Did you really hire him to sit there at the desk and go, wow, these are two great athletes? <laughs> I guess they did. I mean, they probably the did. Can do that. Jerry Lawler can do that. Booker T. They love, they love bringing out Booker T. To, Anyone yeah. can do that. I don't know. Yeah. That's boring. For once, they did something that wasn't boring, and people are acting like Bianca Belair was wronged. These are people who don't understand pro wrestling. No. And it drives me nuts. It was the only interesting thing to ever happen on that pre-show, and they need to do more of it. It's like the one time on Talking Smack where, where The Miz and Daniel Bryan did something interesting, and then people pretended that Talking Smack was good for another six months. 
based on that one segment. It was an awful show. But you know why? Because it was all off the cuff and no one in that company knows how to do anything off the cuff. Which is why Talking Smack was terrible. Get off Sam Roberts' back. He did the one interesting thing ever. And it, the two people with him choked. And it played exactly into the story, too. That's the other thing. is It's like if you went off... I get it if like the entire build of this was that Bianca Belair was this talented veteran and Shayna Baszler was this you know upstart rookie and 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 Bianca's trying to put her down to her level and then Sam Roberts says that it'd be like yeah dude what are you talking about like that's not at all what the story is but it was exactly the fucking story it's pro wrestling like and oh by the way he was right she lost <laughs> yeah right and oh by the way he was right the match fucking stunk for the first half of the match she wasn't ready so kayfabe or non kayfabe he was right and we're still getting on his case. I, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, well, the, the Belair thing is, and I get it. I get it all. And, and like you said, you like her. Is people getting worked? Is it just people getting worked yeah. and they're mad for the right reasons, but they're turning it into something very real? They're calling them racist. I mean, what are we no. doing here? Jesus. It's a pro wrestling story. Stop it. They're in his ear telling him what to say. So is this people getting worked and then turning it into something real? What is happening here with this? Because I can't believe what I was hearing about with this. Yeah, luckily I wasn't watching it live. Was it? Was it? I I, I didn't see it. I saw a lot of it, like the reciprocal stuff about it, but I didn't see a ton of it uh, live. But yeah, that's uh, ugh, boy, it's, but, just, uh, it's fucking wild. Yeah, but but uh, I think the finish was was fun, and I love that that Baszler again gets the help from Duke and Shavir, but it doesn't directly one hundred percent lead to the finish. Like it's just enough to kind of put distraction in the way but then you know the the, the babyface always tries to hit their move like bianca belair was about to hit her 450 and really did hit the 450 but baszler scoops out of the way right the last second so it wasn't the rear naked choke and then like you said where you lose but win bianca belair almost rises up you think oh my god she's gonna do it and then she falls again and then she does it again you're like oh my god she's gonna do it and then she falls again and the ref calls it and it's like yeah it's over i mean that is that's how you do it that's how you book a finish and that's how both people look great through a finish. Baszler looks like a million bucks because she tapped her out. She beat her. She won again. And and Bianca Belair, despite losing, looks like a million bucks too because she almost got it. She barely, barely, barely lost. And that's the best way to do it. So the story yeah. here is now you think she can win the title at some right. point. So that's good. Yeah, perfect stuff there. But uh, another good one there. And then we'll get to our main event here. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa uh, defeating Aleister Black for the NXT Championship. Uh, Joe, thoughts on this match? I um, I go with a big old, eh, good. <laughs> like, it, it it was fine. It was good. I just, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. I'm, I'm at about a three at it. I, it's, it was good. It was fine, but I just, I don't know. It didn't, didn't hit me on that level that, that a lot of these takeover main events do. I thought it was a very good, well-worked match that nobody in the building cared about. And I think that everyone was waiting for Johnny Gargano to get involved and he never did. And I think that kind of hurt the match because nobody wanted to react to anything until the angle happened. Right. It was that old WCW thing where everyone's looking at the back saying, okay, when's this guy going to come out? Someone's going to come. And that's and because this feud and that, and that we, we mentioned, we talked about the build of this match has been so, you know, has been so dependent on Gargano coming in and Candice LeRae coming in and, and, and Johnny Gargano coming out and, and, you know, uh, you know, Ricochet coming out and, and, and this guy coming out and that guy coming out. Like it's been all about all the other parties involved and, and, and less so about Ciampa versus black so that, yeah, when the match happens, it's like people aren't that into seeing Ciampa versus black. So it felt like the crowd was waiting for, okay, you know, not until, until Johnny comes out, this match is not going to matter. And then he didn't come out and then the match just ended. And then I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I thought it was well worked, and it was and it was a good match, and and it just it didn't never went to the next level at all, um, despite the fact that 
it was designed to go to the next level. Just the fans never got behind it in that way. And, um, and, and, and it did hurt the match. And now, uh, you know, off air, they did the whole big six way pull apart. So we're careening towards, we're going to get the six man tag at halftime at a Super Bowl. And then we're going to get I'm so glad halftime heat is back, baby. I always ask myself why they more, more people don't do halftime heat. Cause I think the Super Bowl halftime show fucking stinks. And I always offer to, I, yeah. if I'm at a house, I'm like, can we just watch something? I, I will, I will gladly pay you to watch the puppy bowl, but I don't give a fuck about the Pepsi sponsors, a bunch of fucking fireworks going off and people dancing in different costumes. Halftime show. Yeah, and some performer lip syncing their. I way don't care. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't care. Lady Gaga's in a rocket ship wearing different outfit. Yeah. Like who gives a fuck? Like lip syncing a medley of their hits. <laughs> who That's cares? Who could possibly like that? Like yeah. I'm always like amazed that I go to the houses and I'm like, oh, they're gonna hopefully turn on something else, and then it's always the fucking. And I'm like, oh, dude, who gives a shit? And it's just and it's just advertising. There's just Pepsi logos fucking everywhere. And I'm like, this sucks. Like what the fuck? Listen. People want that Maroon Five medley, Rich. I know. What's what's this year? What's this disaster this year? Maroon Five, Maroon oh. Five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like Maroon Five with like a bunch of rappers, though, right? Yeah, there's some rappers involved. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's fuck. I'm gonna go upstairs, or if I'm at a place, I'm gonna ask to put the puppy bowl on. No one's gonna put the puppy bowl on, but now I'm gonna ask for halftime heat, Joe. No, I'm always... be, yeah, well, I'm gonna be down seventeen seven to Bill and Tom, and I'm gonna be all anxious. <laughs> right? I'm just gonna want it to be over with so we can get the second <laughs> half start. So you know, I, I really have no interest. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's uh, they, they're gonna do the six man tag for halftime heat, which I mean they have their own network now. They should do it every year. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, you know, it's just put put some kind of match on. Well, like fucking USA should show. What the hell is USA showing during the Super Bowl halftime? They ain't showing shit. I mean, I've always wondered why more people don't do that. It's a great time to program that something, anything. Yeah. I mean, I guess USA wouldn't want to do it the years that NBC have the rights to it because it's all NBC. Universe. Sure, right, right, right. But and I guess now that they're tied in with Fox, maybe there's some things there where they don't want to fuck with their uh, network partners. So I kind of get it. But either way, you are. Either way, you're getting them to, to leave the fucking network to go watch. So I don't know. This game is on uh, CBS for what it's worth. So they don't really have any ties to CBS. Maybe that factors into it. And let's be honest, the only people that are leaving are like, you know, there, there's like a million people at most that are going to leave. <laughs> if that, it's going to be like half of that. You know what I mean? So it's not like it's not I life don't... or death. But I think there's a good opportunity to do some stuff in there. Uh, th- th- as far as the half time heat match though uh it doesn't really make sense does it the guys that are in it or yeah, does what it what are the sides again give it to me so here, here's the side just kind of give you an idea here it is ricochet alistair black and velveteen dream right versus adam cole johnny gargano and Tommaso champa yeah i mean <laughs> someone asked me a question somebody that's like kind of semi-casual fan said why is adam cole in that match and i was like well i don't know he's, he was there and they're like well doesn't adam cole have his own team like yeah, yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> yes. They were all part of that pull apart, so it's it's the old main roster thing of can they coexist? Put right, them on right, a right, right. Um, you know, and then obviously they're gonna have a six way match at some point. So that's where this is all going, probably at the Takeover WrestleMania weekend. Um, so so that's where you know this will break down into another six way brawl. I mean, we all know what's gonna happen here. Uh, nobody's getting pinned, and. Um, you know, just to put more heat on what will probably be the main event of the takeover in uh, New York. So um, that's where we're going. My hope is that after that takeover, at least four of these six guys get called up. We've really got to clear out. We do. We really do. Yeah, I had people, I, I Sunday morning I did a Q&A and people were asking me, oh, who should get the call up or whatever? And I was like, I cannot, I used to be able to predict these NXT calls. I used to be able to say, okay, well, it's obvious that Aleister Black lost this match. He's done. You, you, it's, it, nothing is obvious anymore with these call-ups 
Tommaso right. Ciampa should have been gone months ago. Gargano, I mean, I know that they're doing good stories. I know they're doing stuff there. There is no need for Johnny Gargano to be there anymore. There is no need for Aleister Black to be there over, anymore. There is no need. Even a guy like an Adam Cole, you could have already started to maybe see the next levels with him. But guys just stay there now. They're not oh, going Adam, anywhere. Adam Cole and Undisputed Era, they really have no purpose being there. No, they're they could be there tomorrow, and they would be not missed in NXT, and they'd be a great asset to WWE. They serve no purpose in NXT they right now. hold any titles. They're, Adam Cole, like you just said, is shoehorned into this feud with these other five guys. I mean, look, Velveteen Dream, you're going to want, look, he's like 22. No, he's, he, it makes all the sense for the world why you're keeping Velveteen there. You're trying to build him up to make him a superstar when he leaves. I get right. it. But some of these other ones, like Undisputed Era, you can, they can leave NXT tomorrow, wouldn't make a difference. I mean, it, it's time for them to go. Um, you know, so yeah, I just want the main event scene to clear up so we mm-hmm. can get some new faces in there. So well, we I can. thought after the main event that Black lost because Black, we talked about it last week. He should be have been gone. He makes all the sense in the world to be gone. Absolutely. He loses that main event. I'm like, oh, good. We're moving on from Alistair Black. It makes all sense. And then I see the angle and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, no, now he's not leaving again. Like, come out at the Rumble and debut and that's it. Like, Alistair Black is now on the main roster. Now he's done in NXT, but you yep. can't predict them anymore. You just can't. Like, they don't, they just don't happen like they used to anymore. Or when they do, they pluck EC3, Otis, and fucking, uh, uh, you know, Lacey Evans. And it's like, what? Like, yeah, those, those people, are the people? <laughs> like, all the people Triple H has no interest in it. Doesn't <laughs> exactly. He doesn't want for his, uh yeah, take EC three. I don't fucking need her. Yeah, you know, like or, or you know, Vince goes, Oh, Lacey Evans. Ah, go, yeah, all right, you can have her. Dad, knock yourself out. Who cares? Yeah, like they're not fun toys for Triple right, H. Right, yeah. For his little vanity prize. Star yeah. matches on takeovers. And yeah. they're not draws for the national branch of the NXT tour. So right. he doesn't care. You know, so it's like, of course, those are the ones that they plot. So we have to stop asking those questions because I think like, and, and it's not that I don't, you know, obviously the Q and A's, I appreciate all these questions, but, but people ask us as if NXT is what it used to be. It's not a developmental brand in any way. It's, we talked about it years ago. It's, it, it's Triple H's vanity project. So don't like assume call-ups make sense. Call-ups just happen and guys that should be called up don't get called up because yeah. they're valuable to NXT. A Finn Balor type, what, what we talked about for years and years and years was drawing in NXT, even though he's probably ready to go to WWE in the main roster, but he's, they started touring and they needed him to draw and as long as they're going to be touring the country and doing these takeovers doing all this sort of shit they're going to keep guys that are valuable to them so they're going to keep a gargano they're going to keep a champa it appears they're going to keep a black like you know what i mean they're, those guys are not going anywhere right away a ricochet i mean all these guys are ready for the main roster tomorrow but they don't they need them at nxt because nxt is not a quote developmental brand the same sense that we the want to say this. is it outgrew itself and right. it now and now it's both it's a developmental brand and a third brand, and it's hard to juggle both of those things. Because on one hand, you're trying to develop uh, Jessamine Duke and, and Maria Shafir and the fucking Street Profits and you know whoever else and get them up in Velveteen Dream and get them up to speed. And on the other hand, you have to sell out 5,000-seat amphitheaters. So it's, it's, it's kind of like – and you have to sell out takeovers every three months in 20,000-seat basketball arenas. So – they're attempting to serve both masters at the same time. And that's the problem because there's no clear focus on what it is. And it's leaning very heavily towards just being a third brand. And the developmental aspect is sort of secondary. Right. All the developmental pieces are in the performance center and on the Largo loop. And that's hindering the development of all of those people. You know, they should be working the NXT tapings and they should be, you know, cutting their teeth on takeovers in front of crowds the way Bianca Belair did on this show. So th- th- yeah, you're right. It, it it's it it is kind of a mess because they don't really we don't know NXT isn't just one thing. It's 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 serving two masters at the moment. 
All right, so that is uh, TakeOver Phoenix. Let's move on to the Royal Rumble. Joe, uh, it just ended 10 minutes after we, <laughs> 10 minutes before we started recording here. Uh, began Sunday night around uh, 4 p.m. Uh, went, I believe, four days, 18 hours, the show. Did this just feel like excruciatingly long? Did it feel long because I had people in my house asking me how much longer is this going to go on? Or was this long? This thing felt fucking long. The length of these shows are a problem. This is... it. it People are in my house looking at me going, isn't this thing almost over? And I was like, I think, I don't know. <laughs> and they kept saying how many, because I had a lot of people that don't watch all the time or whatnot that, that enjoy coming for the Royal Rumble because it's a fun moment. We have spouses that, you know, my friends bring their spouses or whatnot. And and they're looking at that. And I felt so bad for my buddies because like I could hear the spouse go, how many more matches? And then them like not want to answer because they know it's like three. You know what I mean? Or they yeah. saw like the women's Royal Rumble, like, oh, good, like we're almost done. And they're like, no, there's like four more matches left. And it's like, you know, it's 10 o'clock and they're looking at the watches, like, you know, you have work tomorrow. It's like, I, I know this thing was so fucking long. What the hell are we doing here? Stop. We don't need seven hours. Yeah. I mean, you could skip the pre show, but even then, the main show was super, super. This shit ended at like 10 40 central time like what are we doing why does it have to be that long i thought we added the extra hour to the beginning so we didn't go fucking an hour past 10 o'clock what are we doing <laughs> why yeah i mean what about the sort of debates we're hearing now maybe move the women's rumble to its own show or um you know move- just don't book we don't need a fucking tag title match we don't need a u.s title like we don't need all this shit on this just don't book all this ma- all these matches we i don't two need- royal rumbles we don't need a <laughs> fucking tag we don't need shane mcmahon and the miz celebrating their smackdown title wins for 10 minutes like just that match doesn't have to happen six matches plus two rumbles yeah i yeah you're right i mean because even we don't need 25 minutes for daniel bryan and aj styles so that vintner eric rowan can come out and be the heater you know like me like time these matches better time this shit better you know you're right because you know in in the 90s they'd have three matches in the rumble and get it all in in three hours right somehow they were able to do it you know for years and years and years it's just- and, and you're working with the fourth hour here and you're still having trouble and you got two rumbles it's bloated there's no question it's bloated because what they're also doing is giving you all title matches so they're all feel like you got to give them all time um and, and that's a problem too and it's like because in the, like I said, back when they did three matches, some of them would just be undercard matches like High Energy versus Orient Express, and it didn't need to go fucking eighteen minutes. Right, right, right. You know, because it was just people that weren't in the Rumble that were filling out the card. Well, well, think about this. You know, they're they're lucky right now that their champion is Brock Lesnar, who has eight minute title matches. What's going to happen when you get a guy there who who and they assume it's not Brock Lesnar, it's you know whoever, and those guys need twenty. I mean, these 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 shows are excruciatingly long with Brock Lesnar being in your main events and only going five to ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, how about this? I mean, why does Daniel Bryan AJ Styles have to go twenty five minutes when it's just a bullshit finish? Oh my god! Couldn't you do that bullshit in- match too? We'll talk about it in a bit. Yeah. No, but seriously, couldn't you do that in eight minutes or twelve minutes? why because it would actually make sense in the story that that's the thing oh my god <laughs> you got me fired up now already anyway, why ahead. why would the guy that you have coming out to 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 screw the other guy over and win you the match why would he wait 25 fucking minutes to come out <laughs> like yeah if i say backstage hey buddy vintner eric rowan I, is that canon that he's a vintner is, is vegan eric rowan also vintner <laughs> i don't know if it's canon i don't know if it's still canon he okay 
He used to be a fucking Renaissance Fair geek, so he's been a lot of things. <laughs> he's been Renaissance geek, Vintner. Uh, he was like well-read man, Eric he's Rowan. Genius. Um, he was a car mechanic or something. I, he's been a lot of different things. He's a man of many talents. I, I don't know. But oh, so if I'm backstage, I'm like, all right, buddy. You know, in, in in kayfabe, all right, man. I need you to come out and help me win this title. Help me, you know, retain my title. And he goes, all right, buddy. And he waited 25 fucking minutes to come out. I'd be very upset. Yeah, I would say. Him. I would say, buddy, you know, AJ Styles almost had me in the Styles Clash like numerous times. You want to maybe rush it a little bit? Maybe want to come out, you know, let me have a five minutes and then maybe come out and help it. But you're going to come out at 25 minutes. Like, it's just, it doesn't make any fucking sense. And this is the perfect match to lap time off. This is the perfect match to have it be five minutes because Brian is in the first sense of trouble. And then Eric Roman comes down and, and screws him over. Fans might be upset by it. But that's kind of the plan. You kind of want that. Instead, fans are bored to fucking tears, and then Eric Rowan comes out, and people don't give a shit. And, and that's what they got mad, instead. And then, and then they're mad because they didn't get a finish after a half. <laughs> yeah, right. You've, I've invested 25 minutes. You know, to me, I've, I'm always of that. Yeah. If you're going to have a bullshit finish, have a three-minute bullshit finish. And just yes. bullshit me and get out of there. But don't make me spend 30 minutes for a double countout. Don't have me spend 25 minutes for Shinsuke Nakamura sh- throws a nut punch to AJ Styles. You know what I mean? Like, well, stuff like that annoys the piss out of me. Yeah, but especially if someone's running in, just give me the angle. Yeah, exactly. Just do what you want to tell the story you want me to tell and don't waste my time. Yeah. Because you explained it very well from a kayfabe sense. It doesn't make sense that Rowan would wait so long. Now, from a non-kayfabe storytelling sense, all that mattered here was the angle. We didn't need to take 25 minutes to get there. You could have gotten there in five minutes because the whole purpose of this match was to introduce Eric Rowan. So just introduce him and let's move on with our day. We're all here for the Royal Rumble anyway. This wasn't even the main event. You can make the argument if it's the main event. Oh, well, give people a long match and then fuck them with the fuck finish. This was just a mid-card match. What are we doing? So, yes, this was a perfect place uh, to cut time. No doubt about it. These shows are way too long. And, you know, maybe we are in a scenario where uh, we can't have two rumbles on a show anymore if they insist on having all these title matches under. All right, let's uh, let's work our way actually from the main event back. I think is a good way to do this one because uh, it'd be pretty excruciating to start with the Miz and Shane McMahon. So let's talk about the Men's Royal Rumble. Uh, Seth Rollins wins by last eliminating uh, Braun Strowman, of course. Uh, Seth Rollins going on to WrestleMania 35, presumably to face Brock Lesnar. I think they've already announced that as well. Uh, thoughts on the Men's Rumble? This went 57 minutes and 35, uh, 30, 57 minutes 35 seconds. Uh, felt every bit of that. I uh, I did not like the Men's Rumble at all. I thought, and I usually like like any Royal Rumble. I always say Royal Rumbles are like pizza. Even a bad Royal Rumble is still pretty good. This was Domino's, man. This was the lowest end of Royal Rumbles. I didn't think it was very good at all. No, I mean, it was a Royal Rumble, so there is a floor, and it's pretty high, or relatively high. I mean, there's always something interesting about it, but you're right. This was one of the least interesting Royal Rumbles that I could remember. It just, um, yeah, I mean, the surprises weren't great. Um, you know, the final four or the final stretch wasn't great. Um, yeah, it was just kind of there. I don't have a lot of strong thoughts about this. Yeah, thing. it's just, yeah, the big surprises were, you know, Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> like, you know, that's... Who, by the way, greatest businessman of all time. Now he's oh an He lost himself in there. Now he's got a job. Unbelievable. It's, it's you know, it's crazy. It's <laughs> He's a great man. He just, I want life advice from Jeff Jarrett. This is a man. That's... Remove the alcoholism and the cocaine. And I want life advice from this man. It's like he finds a way. And the wife that's liable to get arrested at any given moment. Yes. Other than that, 
He finds a fucking way to win. The spitting drunk wife. <laughs> it's great. He's a winner. He is, man. I mean, just think of the legacy that this guy has ha, has gone under. I mean, obviously, his his dad gets him into the business. He's a ninety seven times champion in Memphis because his dad's there. Um, he goes to WWF, leaves, goes to WCW, leaves, goes back to WWF, sticks Vince up for money, goes right. to WCW, instantly becomes a world champion. Right. Uses the money that he stuck up Vince McMahon with to start another wrestling company after right. he's blackballed from WWE. Right. <laughs> Gets into that company forever. Does whatever the fuck Global Force Wrestling was. Right. Gets a Hall of Fame bid. Does then it- also goes back to promoting stuff in Tennessee. Don't forget the pyramid scheme with the gold. Yeah, Global Force gold. Somehow, somehow people buy gold from this man. <laughs> he airs Wrestle Kingdom for some fucking reason, and he's the conduit to that. Then, right. like, I, I, I love that he goes to WWE Hall of Fame, and you assume, oh, well, he's WWE all through and through. And then he's just like promoting shows for NWA, like immediately right. after, like like days after he's already back on the trail doing yeah. other stuff for other companies. And now he's an agent, and he has the biggest spot in the Royal Rumble and the biggest, you know, kind of hope spot in the row or the biggest uh, surprise spot uh, i should yes, say spot. in the royal and, rumble so and don't forget he was a world champion last year in triple a triple a triple a main eventer whenever he feels like it. <laughs> yeah whenever he's not drunk throwing tacos at people he could be the main eventer so whenever he feels like waltzing into mexico <laughs> top of the card i wish i could be i wish i could blackball everybody burn bridges and be a drunk and still win all the time but it's it's it's, it's incredible <laughs> how this man Always and like I, I don't hate Jeff Jarrett, but he's never been that good. You know what I mean? Like, there's never been a point where I've been like Jeff Jarrett, man. That dude's killing it. Like, maybe 2000 WCW was like the only time where I was like, ah, Jeff Jarrett's kind of entertaining. I enjoy Jeff Jarrett. You know when he was, you know when he was sneaky good. There was a brief mo- time during the Attitude Era where he was the really the best guy on the roster. Uh, but uh, for like six months there. But other than that, you're right. He's been. He was like mediocre and middling for most, and then anything like TNA was just walking brawl. Like every TNA match was him grabbing his opponent by the hair and walking up the stairs of the Impact Zone, like a lazy fucking big Japan wrestler in Cork and Hall. You know what I mean? Like that was his whole TNA career, and you know it's like you're right. Otherwise, he's just been thoroughly, slightly above average everywhere he's been. Um, but he wins. The man is a winner, and he was in the ring. Doing that fucking spot with Elias for, for seemingly 15 minutes at the Royal Rumble. So, um, you know, good on him. That outfit, though, I don't know. He might want to retire the. Uh, yeah, that was not good. Yeah, he's got to he's got to go back to a different outfit. The, uh, Listen, yeah. he's a 55 year old man. I don't expect him to look like he did in 1994. I mean, that's fine. He's in good shape for an older guy, uh, but not for that outfit. Okay, with the fucking straps and the neck thing, and not nah, that the saddlebags are hanging over the side and. Um, it wasn't great. It, I think it's time to retire the 1994 uh, Double J outfit. Oh, you should yeah. bring back the blinking hat, though. I know. J- if you're going to do that, bring the blinking hat back and the, and the glasses. Yeah, go go all out because you know he still got her. He'd come out of that white horse. I remember he had a horse that he would come out to sometimes, too. So It's true. Um, yeah, but as far as this rumble, I mean, there was like Braun Strowman eliminated five guys, but I guess he was like the guy that eliminated everybody. Drew McIntyre had a really good run uh, eliminating four guys in 20 minutes, but I mean... Samoa Joe was in there 23 minutes, and I don't know. I guess I thought Samoa Joe was arguably the best person in the match. Um, Mustafa Ali got the he, work rate. Yes, yeah. Mustafa, I think, was the one guy that stood guy, up. He got the work rate guy who last 20-minute spot that they like to give people. Um, and they often give it to someone new. So it kind of just, I mean, every Rumble, they have the guy that lasts forever, and a lot of times he's a new guy. Um, and that was him. 
Um, Gargano did okay. He didn't get much of a reaction, but why would he? Um, I don't really hold the NXT people in both matches that didn't get reactions. I don't hold it against them at all. Those crowds just don't know NXT. They prove we've proven that. I know. I don't know why we go I have to have this discussion every single it's, year. They don't watch NXT. Like nobody watches. We watch NXT. The bubble fans watch NXT. The twenty thousand people that go to the Talking Stick Resort Arena watch NXT. There, there are a lot of people that watch NXT, but your normal run of the mill universe fan does not. I was in a crowd with fans that watch every single week Ron SmackDown, and I would have to. Hey, who's this guy? Oh, that's Alistair Black. Oh, he looks kind of cool. I should watch NXT. Yes, you should. We have the same conversation all the time. Oh, Johnny Gargano. Go. Oh, he looks pretty good. Yes, he's on NXT. Oh, okay. Like I, I, we, at the same time, we've had the same discussion. I've been to takeovers with these people, and they don't remember these people. It's just yeah. it, there's a block. <laughs> you know, they watch their WWE, they watch their hours and hours of WWE content, but they're just they don't dive into NXT a little bit. And and we get that, we know that, but we have the same conversation every year when yeah. Johnny Gargano comes out and he's not a star, and it's like no, he he's he's a big deal to a certain segment of the fan base, but not the fan base that's there watching the Royal Rumble, watching the you, you know in, in Chase Field or whatever. So. Yeah, the- Family of four does not sit and watch NXT every Wednesday night. They, you know, they don't do that. They watch Raw and they watch their pay-per-views and, and that's that, you know, they don't know fucking Johnny Gargano or Lacey Evans if they knocked on the front door. They don't, you know, so I don't hold it against any of these people. Uh, they're supposed to know who Zia Lee is. I mean, give me a fucking break, you know, so I never hold that against any of these people when they debut. Um, so yeah, that was the men's rumble. Very, very mediocre rumble match. Yeah. It didn't do a whole lot for me. Uh, Brock Lesnar, Finn Balor, this match did a whole lot for me. Eight minutes. I love this match, Joe. I fucking, I, we, we come on here every single month and talk about how we're Brock defenders or whatnot. I don't have to do that anymore. I, I think people know where we stand on it. I thought this yeah. was awesome. I thought this was great. Eight minute match. Yeah. It just always feels different. That's what we always talk about. Brock's matches just feel different. They break the mold of the house style. Um, he's selling the stomach with those two like bumps he took on the corner of the table. Um, just, just great stuff. Which works perfectly given like the color of his skin. Two minutes into the match, like that's probably what he should sell all the time is his, his stomach because it makes it looks like a man who hurt his stomach like all the time. So it's a good, it's a good idea to do that. Yeah, and yet Corey Graves or whoever it was pushing the diverculitis or whatever as part. Of, you know, he just had surgery on that part of his body. You know, a couple years ago. So you know, it all worked. And um, you know, Brock. When he has those working shoes on, which is most of the time, okay, you can't beat it. You really can't beat it in this company. It's always the most interesting thing on the show. And on top of being the most interesting thing on the show, it's often the best thing on the show. And this was a perfect example of both being the most interesting thing on this show and the best match on this show. Now, I thought it was it, the, the four-way cruiserweight match on the pre-show I thought was neck and neck with this for match of the night. But yeah, this was the best match on the main show. Um, and, and I don't really think it particularly had much competition. Yeah. I'm right with you there. I think there was enough spots in there where Finn Balor felt like, a. You know, there was a little bit of hope spots. There was obviously the topes where he hit like two or three in a row or whatever, which I think was pretty good. But when it was all came down to it, it was about Brock, you know, kind of, destroying this guy but I, I i think finn had some good stuff in there like you said he was selling the stomach like at one point he tried to lift him up and he couldn't do it so so you felt like okay finn has a potential chance here and there were a few near falls that even even watching with my buddies like we were like holy fuck he might win here and then you know brock kicked out and then hit an f5 and then tapped him out or whatever so it all made sense in the world that, that brock would win when he did but i think there was just enough there to give finn balor something but you knew that finn balor was just there he was just the the guy of the week you know the guy of the month or whatever to to, to, to be you know fed to brock or whatever and and i don't hate that you know people hate it i don't mind having a star you know i think people forget what stars look like and what like you know what i mean like people are oh brock just you know defeats these guys and they don't have a chance well no that's what your stars should do sometimes like yeah stars good. Should fucking beat yeah, people like, yes that's right. how you push people 
Finn Balor's a nothing. Like, I'm sorry, I like Finn Balor. I think he's a good wrestler, but he's a nothing in this company. He's an absolute fucking dud, and he's a nothing. So, you know, he comes wow, in, and he gets cool. eaten up. Well, I mean, like, in terms of the way they, they present him, I mean, sure. fuck, what was he doing the last eight months? I you agree. remember? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think Finn Balor, that shoulder injury was it for him. We yeah. talked about it at the time. They lost their trust in him, and they've done that with guys before, where you get hurt when they give you a big spot, they never go back to you. And that was like, and, and, and whether they lost their trust or whether they just moved on and never went back, that was the moment for him, and, un- and an unfortunate thing happened. And they just moved on and never went back. Mm-hmm. Whether it was because of a loss of trust or just going in other directions, shit changes real fast in wrestling, and that was it. I thought he had a real chance there. He had a lot of momentum when he won that title, too. Mm-hmm. And it's just a shame how that happens. Um, but that is what it is. And, I mean, I think that – I mean – I don't think he's the complete non-entity that you think he is. I think I differ with you a little bit there, but I don't think he's a guy that they're ever going to put on top again. I, I don't think that's... If the- he went away tomorrow, would you even notice? Would I notice? I mean, no, I mean, I don't think it would make a difference in the company, no. I mean, um, so yeah, I, in, in that sense, I agree with you. That, that's that's all I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, he, he has value. I think he has tremendous value. But if he yeah. left tomorrow and he never came back, it would take, you know, weeks before people, oh, yeah, Finn Balor's not around. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> How many people on the roster would be a debilitating loss if, if I mean, we know Roman was one and it happened. Um, you know, so it's like the way that they book everyone. Right. Well, that's what I mean. And that's why Brock is such a shock to the system to everybody. I'm like, oh, he yeah. eats everybody alive. Because like, that's what stars do. That's what main eventers do. They beat people. They win. Yeah, they should win all the time <laughs> until they face each other. And then right. the one you think can make you more money should win. And that's just really how it should work. I know. It's um, wrestling. one one I don't know why we've lost. We've lost sight of this, Joe. Yeah. Sam well, Roberts can't say things and Brock can't beat people. I don't, I don't get it. Like, what are we doing? I, listen, we talk about it all the time. And it's a different generation of fan that grew up with parody everything. Yeah. That's what it is. They grew up where the company was just booked like a one giant blob of parody. And they don't know another way. And they don't know that, you know, pushing people strong can be of benefit. Um, you know, it's the whole thing of everyone deserves a title shot. It's the same idea. Of course they don't. But, but this is a generation of fan that was brought up on titles changing every week on TV and everyone getting a turn. Yeah. It's all the same theory. I move on to Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles. We talked a little bit about this. I went a little under 25 minutes. Um, When I talk about like, (laughs) this wasn't the worst match I've ever seen, but in terms of like two guys that rule, two guys that I know should have good matches together, two guys that should have done so much more with what they were given. Joe, what the fuck was this match? My God, it just never fucking ended. It never got exciting, and then it ended with Eric Rowan. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, it was heatless. Crowd um, didn't give a fuck. The work was fine, but these two guys are great. Um, the crowd didn't care. You heard the low dome murmur. You know the mm-hmm. dome murmur? Oh. oh, yes. That you get on dome shows, uh, you know, when, when the fans aren't really into something and you just hear that low murmur. It's different than the arena murmur. It's the dome murmur. And that's what we got here. And um, because the fans weren't into it. And yeah, I think we pretty much dissected it. Just go eight minutes if you're doing this. I mean, that's the bottom line. This was stupid. Um, Very much a letdown. Very much way too long. And really grinded the show to a halt at this point. To where luckily Brock and Finn uh, brought us back. I I wanted to you had a you had a quick little point that you said you said two great wrestlers in yeah. AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan are they? 
Yeah, I think Brian is. He's done enough on his return where I'm like, holy shit, this guy still rules. Um, AJ, look, man. We got to look at the mirror of AJ. We, we keep making excuses every single month. His great matches are fewer and farther between. There's no question about it. When I watch him wrestle, I see a guy who still is very good in the ring. Um, he's probably, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that he's probably lost a step, but would it stun you if at the next pay-per-view he had a four-star match? I mean, it wouldn't stun No, me. no, I don't think he's, like, dead and buried. I just, there's just this weird, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I haven't gotten into an yeah. AJ Styles match in, in a long time, and, and he's a guy who had years of just, like, you couldn't have a bad match with AJ Styles, and now it feels like we've just been in this period. Like even TLC, where where I think these two guys were at, were at TLC and had a a pretty good, but it, it you know some people really really loved it. I didn't like it on that same level. I just that's why I asked the question because I just don't know that I'm into these two guys right now in, in, in terms of in ring, and 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 I don't know why either. It's just they they aren't they're connecting with me in the way that they should. So I, I it's 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 interesting because I just know there's so much more potential between these guys, and they've had what five or four big singles matches now in the last five months or whatever. And it's like, all right, like, does this feel like an all-time great rivalry that these guys have had? I mean, they fought in October, they fought in November, they fought in December, and now they fought in January. Do you even remember that? They yeah. had four, four pay-per-view main events in the last five months. They had a great one in there. Yeah. Um, they had a great one in there. Um, yeah, yeah, I, with the AJ thing. As far as Brian goes, I'm going to say something. Now, Rich, over the years on this show, I've been ahead of the curve on a few things. I was ahead of the curve on, I believe I was the first person to turn on Gargano and Ciampa, calling it the melodramatic bullshit. I believe I was first on that. Um, I was first to turn on Bray Wyatt, and that turned out uh, to be something that was ahead of the curve. Um, you know, I came on this show and brazenly told everyone that dopey junior fucking chainsaw guy Kenny Omega was going to be the biggest star in New Japan. I was ahead of the curve on it. So there's been a number of things where I can take a W for. We won't forget the things I was wrong about. But the things I was right about, there's a lot of them where I was ahead of the curve. And I'm right more than I'm wrong, no matter what any of my detractors like to say. The Daniel Bryan thing is very close to jumping the shark. He's very close to becoming a cartoon character. The hemp belt, um, you know, the vintner as his fucking uh, eco-terrorist. We don't know that he's, don't know that he's a vintner. I, I, I don't know if that's in canon anymore, so I don't, uh, don't report that anywhere. We don't, we don't know for sure yet. But This is one of those things where he first turned heel and it was good. He first started going in the direction of his current character and it was, wow, this is really awesome and different. He's embracing it and it's good and it's him turned up to 10. And now it, it is on the verge of becoming a subtlety hammer thing where they go too far and he's a cartoon and it's annoying and not annoying in the good way, annoying in the, I have to turn the channel off when this guy's on way. I'm not ready to say it yet, but I see it trending in that direction. Daniel Bryan is on the precipice of jumping the shark with this, uh, you know, ultra annoying, super fucking woke guy thing. It's very close. Um, and, and, and I, I, everyone's still throwing roses at it. But I just want to get ahead of the curve, like I often am. It's it's about to be real stupid. Because I know this company, and I know they can't help themselves, and I know they're going to ruin it. So I just want to get that out there now. So I can come back on this show in two years and pat myself on the back. Right. Unless it turns into an incredible story and it's great, and then we'll never bring it up ever again. But remember this I, audio if it does turn bad. In so. all seriousness, though... I, I, 
I don't love it. I don't love it. I see sign. I don't love it. Yeah, it's. I love it. It's starting to be way over the top and too quickly. And too quickly. It's going too far in the direction of a cartoon. I, I, there's a fine line there, and I thought he was nailing it for a while. I think it's going, it, it's cro- it's crossing the line. It's becoming, it's no longer interesting and different. It's becoming tropey and subtlety hammer and too much. And it's, 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 you know, next thing you know, we're going to be getting dopey vignettes where Brian and 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 uh, and the vintner are fucking. Um, I don't know. I, I can't come up with a good example now, but it's it just, it's going to get, it's about to get silly. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I, and I don't love, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I think you said it best. I don't love it. I don't love it. The hemp belt. I, first of all, I can't stand gimmick belts. There hasn't been a single gimmick belt that I've, li- I, I don't like that. I think it's silly. You're not a smoking skull belt guy. No, I, I, I'm not either. I, I don't like, like that stuff. The spinner. I think it's silly because then someone else wins it and they're running around with it. <laughs> right, Edge has to like have a spinner belt. In it. Yeah, it's just stupid. I don't even I, like the different straps. I'm one of those weirdos too. I, I don't know if that makes me like a Jim Cornette weirdo, but like even when like Warrior would have purple Warrior, straps, I yeah. fucking hated it. I was like, no, there's a belt and you get that belt. <laughs> like that's it. Like you no, I get it. And so look, I get it. They're selling these belts to belt geeks. It's the same reason that pro sports teams have a million alternate jerseys. I understand the idea behind it because you can sell, uh, you know, somebody a $325 replica belts on WWE.com. I understand they're going to sell. If they're not, uh, by the way, if you're going to do that, voice wrestling.com slash WWE shop. Absolutely. If you're belt mutant, go right ahead, but use our (laughs) link. Now the, the, the thing about it is if they're not selling that hemp belt already, they will be. So I understand to me, it's just, yeah, I've never been into that. I don't know. But, uh, anyway, we continue. All right. And then we get to the uh, women's Royal Rumble here. Uh, this is a big reason why the heat was lost in Daniel Bryan AJ Styles because all the heat was used in this match, which was awesome. But by the way, people have been, I heard people say that like, oh, well, you can't follow Becky Lynch. You can follow Becky Lynch if you don't have a shitty 25 minute match. They decided to have a shitty 25 minute match and that's why they couldn't follow Becky. But oh, give me a break. It's not like this women's Royal Rumble was something that was impossible to follow. <laughs> I know, but I hear that. It stunk for 50 minutes. Come on. It wasn't great, but it went 112, thankfully, because the last 20 minutes were really, really good yeah. obviously with the becky lynch uh coming out taking lana's spot a, a pre-show angle actually matters joe so after a few months after telling us the pre-show doesn't matter uh, they decided the pre-show does matter in terms of lana injury but uh becky lynch comes and takes her spot wins the Royal rumble as most of us suspected that uh would happen after she lost earlier in the night but um it's uh there was some highs and there were some lows. The lows were the first 50 minutes, uh, particularly the first 10 minutes with Lacey Evans and Natalia trying to do something that appeared to be wrestling. Um, and it didn't get much better until, uh, until Ray Ripley and Becky Lynch and Ruby Riot and, and, and that the last like, you know, then you had Sonya Deville, Alexa, Bl- I think pretty much until the last 10 or so, I would say, Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley, Sonya Deville, Alexa Bliss, Bailey, Becky, Naya, and Carmelo is about when it started getting good. But until then, it was pretty, uh, pretty not good. No, the match was bad for 40 or 45 minutes, minimum. Even when the better people got... The first 20 minutes were abysmal. (laughs) We're all-time bad. Joe, look at the names here. Look at the names that they put at the beginning of this. Mm -hmm. Lacey Evans, Mm -hmm. who's green by, like, NXT standards, but they put her in there in the first spot, like, which is terrible. Like, usually they use that for, like, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Ric Flair, you know, Roddy Piper, British Bulldog. Like, Lacey, What? Like, okay, it should do a kip up and ruined it twice, but that then no, whatever. Uh, Natalia, right? Mandy Rose is the third, Liv Morgan, fourth, yes, Mickey James, who's fine, 
but was terrible in this match. Yes. Ember Moon, mm-hmm. who's got a hurt elbow. Broke her arm and wrestled for like 40 minutes and did well. Yeah. Uh, Billy Kay. Yeah. Nikki so- Cross. <laughs> Nikki Cross. Very annoying. Yes. Uh, Peyton Royce. Terrible. Tamina. <laughs> One of the worst wrestlers of all time. She right? can't do a splash. She's terrible. I was talking to her. So I was watching, obviously, with people. And they're like, ah, oh, Tamina. And one of my buddies is like, or, you know, he kind of watches every so often. He was big watching, and now he doesn't watch it nearly as much. He goes, ah, oh, who's Tamina related to? And I went, Jimmy Snook. And he went, ooh. And I went, no, 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 no. Trust me. Reel it in, buddy. And then in the next four minutes, she proceeded to fuck up a punch, fuck up a body slam, and then not do the splash well. Legitimately. One of the worst major league wrestlers of all time. She can't do anything. No, she's utterly useless. Joe, I am positive. You and I tomorrow could go to a wrestling ring and and have something that is better than anything Tamina's ever done. I'm positive of it. You you train me for a week, I'm better than Tamina. (laughs) I don't even think we need the training. I think we'd be perfect. I think if you and I talk about it for two hours, we could nail it. And be at at least, it's not going to be good, but it's going to be better than anything Tamina's ever done. I am no better than a varsity high school athlete in my life. Okay. I'm no better than an average athlete. Um, And um, many years removed from that, you train me for a week, I'm better than Tamina. It's It's not even a question. I'm fully confident. I'm better today. I'm saying that right there. Uh, Jaya Lee uh, came out next uh, to Absolute Crickets because she's not even the character on NXT, really. So uh, Sarah Logan. This is 12. This is our first 12 that we just listed right there. Right. I, this is what I mean. The first Mickey James was good. Uh, Mickey James is good. That's about the only one that she stunk in the match. I know. That's what I mean. Like she was the only hope, the only the hope and the only, you know, saving grace in this match. And then she fucking stunk. Yeah. Yeah. But here, here's the thing, too. Like, the order of the participants did not help, but this match was cursed. It's it was as if everyone had to blow at least one spot. It was almost like a rule because even the good people were in there blowing spots. It was a disaster. It was a mess for the first forty or forty five minutes. It got a little better when the participants improved, but then they were blowing spots too. And Rich, you get Zia Lee and Casey Canazaro into the match, right? And you're exposing them on the main roster for the first time. And you give them focused spots in the match, and you pair them off with Tamina and Natalia. <laughs> Whose idea was it in the meeting? We want to make Zia Lee look real good. Who should she work with after everyone clears out of the way and gives her some? How about Tamina? Someone actually thought of that, and the idea was approved. I mean, you're giving the person no chance. They picked Tamina and Natalia to work with Casey and Zia Lee. And the results were predictable. Casey's green as hell already. She blew spots left and right in the Mae Young Classic. It's okay. She's brand new. We understand. But give her a chance. Give her a chance. Put her with someone better. You know, who can guide her through or whatever. But uh, yeah, this match was, was not good. Was horrible for 25 minutes. And was bad for 40 to 45 minutes. And then the closing stretch, I thought, was, was pretty good. And obviously, the Becky stuff was super over. Um, you know, and, and Charlotte was good in the match. She showed a lot of fire. And um, yeah, so I mean, you know, which begs the question, Rich, can a match be bad for an hour and still be a good match? Oh, it's it's an interesting debate. Um, yeah, you thought Okada and Omega was good. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm joking, of course. Well, here's was, the thing. We got like 20 tweets that were the same thing. It's like, all right, yeah, from all fucking buzz off dork. Get out of here. You know, from mouth-breathing idiots with 20 followers who, you know, yeah, yeah, who cares what they think? They're fucking yeah, right, idiots. Right. 
But because Okada Omega was a good match for an hour, dummies, not a bad match for an hour. But anyway, um, can a match be bad for an hour and then still come away oh. like it was a good match? Because I'm conflicted with this because the last 15 or 20 minutes was really, they were really, good. really good. Yeah, the hour's tough. Like, can the match be bad in the first half and be good in the second half? Yes, of course. Yeah. But an hour's a long amount of time. And this match is really not good for a really long amount of time, but had an awesome 10 minutes. So it's an interesting debate. I don't know. I don't know if I know the answer to that off the top of my head. It, it, it's, it's certainly, uh, I'm curious what the folks on Twitter would have to say at Voices Wrestling. Let us know. I, I want to say please, no. Please don't put that up. No, I was going to say, I thought Omega Okada was good. Yeah. It, it'll, uh, I want to talk, but I have to bite my tongue. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it, it's an interesting question because it's like because last 10 minutes were fucking great like the, the becky stuff was incredible i mean just great emotion great great you know charlotte i think did great in her role i think even carmella being one of the final fours was interesting i think she actually was pretty good this match all things considering given that the first you know 40 minutes were absolute disaster then when carmella comes out and and doesn't blow a spot it's like oh hey carmella all right improving there we go but um <laughs> It's an interesting debate. I don't know. I uh, I want to say yeah, but because I thought this match was good, and it was that. It was absolutely a disaster for fifty minutes and a really good last ten minutes. So this match was so bad at one point that it was entering this is fun bad territory, and it's really hard to come back from that. I don't think it ever got there. It's just God the missed spots, even by the people who should have been better. Um, I'll tell you who was good too was Candice LeRae. She was good for the time that she was in there. And she was the only person who took a clean over the top rope bump. That, you know, because the, even, even the over the top rope uh, eliminated bumps were, were sloppy. It is a mess. But uh, I don't know. It was a tale of two matches to me. Absolutely. Well, Becky, of course, wins. And now she goes on to WrestleMania. Uh, I hope and I pray that they just do Becky and Ronda. Don't even fuck around with Charlotte. You got this moment. Becky beats Ronda. I, I think it'd be silly to do anything else than that. Don't resist the temptation. You got a star. You got something here. Don't fuck it up, but they probably will add Charlotte to it because that's what they do. So we'll see. I, the reports are that this is going to close WrestleMania, that the, 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 it's already been made that Becky and Ronda is closing WrestleMania. I, I think after this night, I think it absolutely should close WrestleMania. I think that's definitely going to be the best call, but whether it's just going to be Becky and Ronda or if Charlotte's going to get in there, we'll, we'll, we'll have to find out. We have many, many weeks to get there and they'll probably change their mind many many times on the path there so no use talking about it now so we'll have a lot of discussions about that everyone knows where we stand just give us round numbers becky but we'll see i'll move on to uh women's match that preceded that uh, was ronda rousey defeating sasha banks for the raw women's championship i got a ton of shit for saying i liked this match i thought it was like four and a quarter which people were very very upset that i said that but uh i liked this match i thought it was really good really good back and forth i like i like a vicious sasha banks yeah like a ronda rousey out there being vicious like this is brutal and a fight and i loved it it was brutal enough and rich you like whatever you want to like sir you don't let these people bring you down with that said this match was not good um oh. listen i thought it was okay the, the problem i had with it was the things you liked about it i didn't because i thought it was we both agree it was like sloppy and messy you liked the sloppiness and messiness of it for the same reasons that we've liked a lot of sasha's sloppy and messy matches i thought this one was the bad kind of sloppy and messy though it kind of lost me at points because i thought that they weren't on the same page at times there was this one spot by sasha which i thought was a disaster she like Tried to do a spot where she had Ronda 
uh, hand in hand and then tried to run up the ropes, right? So Sasha runs up the ropes while holding hands with Ronda to do some flippy-do, I assume. Changed her mind halfway up the turnbuckles, turned around, came back down, and then just kicked Ronda in the face. And I was like, you guys just are not on the same page. This is a big mess. But listen, this is what Sasha does, and I could see why when people were giving you shit for liking it, I knew exactly where you were going with it because we have praised matches like this in the past. But to me, it was just a little too sloppy and it was a little too messy. And I think it's time to admit or talk about the fact, at least, that Sasha Banks is just a sloppy pro wrestler. Yes. Can we say that? Is it allowed? Because she is. She's sloppy. She's messy. She tries to do too much. She wants to be good in the worst way. And she tries things that are way over her head. and. She tries things that she's not capable of doing, and she barely is able to execute them, and then it comes off looking messy. And this has become a common theme in a lot of her big matches now. And we used to blame Charlotte for it, but now we're sitting... Now, look, Ronda Rousey's not exactly the most uh, experienced, smooth wrestler there is either, but Sasha Banks is a sloppy pro wrestler. She's just... she's It's messy. She doesn't wrestle clean matches. But, like you're saying, that could be part of the appeal and why people like her stuff. So what do you have to say to that? Yeah, that's exactly, I think that's a, a, a good call. And I think there was, yeah, there was definitely a lot of the sloppiness in there, but but I appreciate that because it felt to me like a fight. It felt to me like there was some some real struggle. There were those moments, like you said, I know the exact moment you're talking about where I just watched and went, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just feel awkward. You kind of want to look away and you're like, oh no, 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 no. But I thought the last, you know, five or so minutes of the match where it was just Sasha, you know, locking in the, the bank statement and pounding on Ronda's hand and, and they're slapping each other and punching each other and they both look like they've been through a war like that stuff i love there was just a brutality to it and a uh just kind of a a, a, a more of a push pull than you'd have in, in in a lot of matches in some senses because they were pushing and pulling at, at the same time and they didn't know where they were going to go and what they were going to do or whatnot but sometimes i appreciate that and i could see how people would say it felt a little sloppy to them to me i didn't quite see that and i know in the room that i was watching it in everybody watching it loved it as well so i think that might have played into it a little bit too we yeah. were living and dying by every little moment where if i'm just sitting in my house by myself kind of watching it i may have not liked it as much but you know it's one of those things but uh, all in all like i still thought it was pretty good and uh, I, I i like i like when sasha's got a little bit more brutality to her i like when she can kind of spread her wings a little bit the problem like you said is sometimes she spreads her wings way more than she needs to and tries too much and 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 i get it she watches all these tapes and she's got all these ideas but it's like sometimes you got to you know got to be the right there you got to be in there with the right dance partner and you have to know that you can be able to do this stuff too you gotta know who you a, are right right she's she's a little over ambitious at the times which I, on one hand i could appreciate um she's not like here's the thing she's not that good of an athlete and i think that's the problem she thinks yes. she's ricochet yes. but she's not <laughs> she's just she's yeah. just a girl who who loves wrestling and studies wrestling and wrestles but like we talk about all the time like the athletic background of a lot of these people people underrate how big of a deal that is yeah people go oh no you can just be a wrestler it doesn't matter what their background in athletics are but a lot of these guys are like top tier athletes like a lot of these people sasha's not that sasha's just somebody who watches wrestling you know and like she tries she really worked hard she's maximized everything about herself she has absolutely maximized herself but she's not ricochet and sometimes she thinks she is or she thinks she's kotobushi and she's not kotobushi she's sasha banks you know she wasn't a star college athlete or anything like that you're right she didn't come from you know uh you know uh, an athletic world you're right about that and and yeah and it, it it does show and um 
you know, it, the, the thing, I'm so conflicted about the match because, you know, it's like there were a lot of things I didn't like about it, but a lot of the things that you liked about it, I liked too. I thought it did feel like a fight and all of that. So it's a weird, it was a real, just a real weird match in the sense that I hated it and I liked it all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which makes sense. I get that. There were a lot of people that were, were, were that same way as well. So I get it. All right, move on here. The uh, match prior to that was The Miz and Shane McMahon defeating The Bar to win the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. The greatest team in the world or whatever the fuck they're calling them. I don't care. Why did this have to be on this match and why did it have to go 15 minutes? Look, this was utter shit until the end. I thought it was a good, fun, crowd-pleasing match. I'm going to be nice and I'm going to leave it at that. Because it it accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish. The crowd enjoyed the finish. Um, the Miz and Shane McMahon are over. I have to accept that, and I think everyone needs to accept that not everything in this company is going to be for them. It's a variety show, and this was a crowd-pleasing match that that made the fans happy. With a pretty cool closing stretch, to be fair. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It's just, yeah, it might not be for me, which is fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not for me. And- not for me at all. I have no use for Shane McMahon. I have no use for The Miz. And honestly... I have no use for the bar. Yeah. They always do gimmicky shit. They're the most overrated tag team in the world. Um, they, they're they're totally not used in the way that I would use these two men. And um, I, I don't know the last time I came on this show and praised something that the bar did. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend they're good because I like Cesaro and Sheamus. It doesn't work because of the way that they're used. So this just wasn't for me. Uh, and then we'll do the opener here, uh, the, the true opener, and then we'll talk about the pre-show here in a bit. Uh, Asuka defeating Becky Lynch uh, by submission to retain the Women's Championship. Do you have any issue with uh, Asuka beating Becky Lynch in the middle of the ring uh, with her submission? Any thoughts on uh, on that? And what do you think of the match overall? I should ask first, too. Nah, Rich, we talked about it last week. We said if Becky Lynch loses to Asuka, if she wins the Royal Rumble, it doesn't matter. You stick by and, that? Uh, yeah, I stick by that. It, I do, too. Because she was so enormously over, and, and the Royal Rumble win came off so well that it doesn't fucking matter what happened an hour earlier. It really doesn't. Um, so yeah, I have no problem with that. The match itself, this match was boring the shit out of me for the first, I don't know, uh, six or seven minutes. And then it slowly grew on me as the match continued on. And it ended up being a solid as fuck professional wrestling match that, uh, that I did like. I'm about the same way as you are. I, I I like the Banks Rousey a little bit more because I think it had a, just a little bit more of a coherent story being told. And yeah, even if it was sloppy at times, it just kind of worked. This one, it it went you know like nearly 20 minutes, 17 minutes, and it felt it felt long for a lot of it. And it felt like, all right, where are we going here? What are we doing? The last few minutes were great, and 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 you know the the Oscar lock and the, and the reversals out of that, and the counters out of that, and Becky getting her hope spots, like all that stuff was really good. And I, I actually really liked the finish too because Oscar just locked her in, and that's the benefit of submission finishers is Becky doesn't look like she lost. It's just Asuka got the lock in, and it's like, fuck, what do you do? You know, you just tap out. And sometimes you just lose to a submission. I like that a lot. Like, if Asuka had hit whatever, you know, a random other finisher, a power bomb or whatever, and pinned her, that feels a little bit different. But it's something like the Asuka lock, which you can just get, that could just get locked onto you. And then, like, you're just done. And that's the benefit of having a submission. That's the benefit of building up a submission, too. So I had no issues with that, and I thought it actually kind of worked in the context of the story. And then it helped Becky build up sympathy for later in the show, too. So I had no issue with it whatsoever. I saw some people that did. I, I, I don't buy it. I think you can... I, again, I have no issue with you saying this is the person we wanted to win this match, but then the other person got out ahead in, in, in the end anyway. So I think there's there was a benefit to doing it, and, and I think they nailed it. So I agree. 
Uh, as far as the pre-show, I uh, I saw a little bit of the Fatal 4-Way match. It looked awesome. I uh, actually do want to go back and watch a little bit more of that. I saw a little bit of it. I had people coming over to my house while it was going on, so I missed a few seconds here and there. But uh, of the stuff I saw, it looked spectacular. Just some crazy stuff. Buddy Murphy, man. Like I was in the room with guys that, that don't really watch 205 Live at all because nobody watches 205 Live except for you. But um, they were like, holy fuck, what is going on? And I think they're watching 205 Live this week, though, because they were like, holy shit, what's going on in this match? They were loving some Buddy Murphy, the guys I was watching with. But Yeah, not a great 205 Live this week, so they're not. <laughs> Damn it, well, they're done then. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, the four-way was really good. I thought neck and neck with the Lesnar match for best match of the show overall. So uh, and and I then I- Rumble as a show was good. Yeah, I thought uh, ultimately pretty good. Um, just too long and just too fucking long. Yeah, it just it does not need to be seven hours. I was entertained by the show, though. I mean, I um, can't tell you I was mad when the show was over that I wasted all that time. They wasted some of my time because it was too long. But overall, I thought it was a good show. It was enjoyable. I guess there's worse ways to spend seven hours. So <laughs> I spent all seven, believe me. Uh, I did not watch uh, Nakamura and Rusev. Uh, I didn't care, and I especially did not watch Joe. <laughs> Grab your Fire Pro Wrestling game, all right? You got it? Yeah, I got it. You got I got one Fire Pro World? All right. Yes. Here you go. Hit random. Who's the first guy that comes up? Uh, Bobby Roode. Cool. Hit random again. Who comes up? Chad Gable. Great. First team. Bobby Roode, Chad Gable. That's fun. Uh, all right. Hit it again. Uh, um, okay. Either Razor or Ocam. I don't remember which uh, one. Razor. Razor was your man. All right. It's, it, it, it's landed on Razor. I get it. They look pretty similar. Yeah. Uh, Razor. Okay. And then uh, hit uh, Triangle one more time to get our last man in this tag match. Same thing. One of the two Jim Crockett geeks. I don't uh, Scott know. Dawson. I believe Scott it's Scott Dawson. Dawson it landed on. Yep. <laughs> What'd you call him? One of the two? Jim Crockett. <laughs> Jim Crockett geeks. That's great. So uh, somehow in some universe, Bobby Roode and Chad Gable teamed up uh, to defeat Scott Dawson and Razor for a, <laughs> a match where had Dawson and Razor won, both the Revival and AOP would have received Raw Tag Team title matches. Okay. Correct. Yes. They didn't win. <laughs> why even add that? So why the, yeah. I don't know. I ain't look. Yeah. I. If Jeff Jarrett loses, his hair will be cut. All right, Jeff Jarrett won. All right. Well, it's another good example. Like, why does that match need to be on the show? No. Yeah, exactly. You can cut a little bit of time there and, and not even have that match on the show. I mean, I don't know. What do you want me to say, Rich? Yeah, whatever. I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how anyone could care about Bobby Roode and Chad Gable as tag champions. They have no chemistry together. I, I don't know. I could be doing a lot of things with Chad Gable, and this wouldn't would be very low on the list. Yeah, the team it'd, it'd be a thousand on my list of what I would I do is even with Bobby Roode. But. Yeah. All right, so that is the Royal Rumble, and that was their weekend. So let's get to our last part of the match, or the last part of the show, I should say, here as we're uh, – we're on a little low on time here, but let's get to this. We got New Japan. We have Kushida, his send-off, as well as the new beginnings. We'll start with Kushida, uh, his final match against uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi on the 29th. Uh, Joe, did you watch the match? And if you did, what would you think of it? I watched it. Um, I'm not prepared to give a real good opinion on it because I need to give it a more focused watch. I, I didn't have my full attention. Um, what I saw was a little underwhelming. It, it wasn't very good. Okay, well, not that, much. Yeah, well, I don't know what other people thought of it. I watched it with full it's attention. Massive, it's getting massive praise. Really? Just, yeah, yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, 
uh, uh, Jojo Remy. It's his match of the year so far. Um, I saw some other people say that they had it like four and a half range. So, oh, uh, <laughs> okay. I, I have a different file then, I guess, because no, yeah, I think either we're the outliers, but I have to be fair though. I can't give you an opinion or a rating because I need to give it a focused watch because what I saw wasn't grabbing me, but by the end of the match, what I realized was, okay, this was a very intricate grapple heavy match. They're telling stories with their holds here. I need to pay attention to this at a later date when I'm not changing diapers. I didn't even have the volume on for it to give you an example. Um, So I, I need to just sit down like you did and watch the match. So since you saw it and paid attention, you talk us through it. Yeah, no, I think a lot of it, I, mean, I don't know, the grapple didn't quite work for me. And maybe that's, the, maybe again, I do need to kind of go back and, and, and rewatch it. Because while I'm watching, I'm just kind of like, all right, whatever. And I assume that a lot of it was Kushida just didn't want to go balls to the wall because he's he's on the way out and he's, you know, doesn't want to get hurt or anything like that. So they did a little bit more of kind of like a Tanahashi, you know, wrestling clinic with Kushida yeah. kind of working underneath. Uh, and trying to get out, and then he's sort of, you know, he's on the ground, he's kicking at Tanahashi's knee, and there's a lot of, like, I, the work itself was pretty good, but then ultimately it just, I don't know, I, I I didn't feel like it reached any big pinnacle, which is fine, I didn't want it to. I wanted this to be a, just a good emotional send-off for Kushida, I didn't want him to get hurt, I just wanted him to have a good little match that he's proud of, and they can kind of go and, and, and move on to the next step of his life, so to me it did, I, you know, I wasn't that offended that it wasn't any good. You know what I mean? I wasn't like, oh God, what a disappointment. But I'm, I'm shocked to see people loved it as much as they did because I don't know. I just nothing really got me. I mean, yeah, a fun little grappling display with Tanahashi working as like the, the bigger, stronger guy, and Kushida working from underneath. And I don't know. I guess I, maybe that type of match just doesn't work for me. But no, I didn't think it was anywhere near that level of, I uh, mean, of good. W- what I saw was, and remember, I missed several two to three minute chunks just not paying attention. But what I saw was a very well-worked match that just wasn't very exciting. Um, yeah. Now, I didn't, I didn't expect them to have a, a, a six-minute near-fall sequence because they weren't going to do that with their, with their heavyweight champion against a junior. I get that. Um, but, yeah, it didn't, it didn't grab me either. But I, I really do want to watch it again and pay close attention because it could be a match that I really like, but I just can't give a fair assessment on it. Um, sounds like you didn't like it very much. I know that... Um, you know, a lot of people really did. I'm trying to see if, what was the name of this event? Let me see if Grapple has a consensus on this. It, was it a road, road to New Beginning? It was a road to New Beginning on one, uh, 129. Uh, day four. No. Day three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right now it's 3.92. So for that's all intent. That's what I put. Yeah, I put it around there, about three and a half, four, somewhere in that range for me. So, yeah. So that's what the, uh, so grapples got on it. Uh, you can round it up to four, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I wish I could say more about it, but I can't. Let's talk about the part that I love the absolute fucking most. And God, it's my it, God, Joe it just injected into my veins. I love a good Paul Heyman booking of a guy on the way out, and that's what happened here. You have Tanahashi taps Kushida out. Kushida's on the ground. Everyone's chanting Kushida, Kushida, Kushida. Tanahashi goes to hug him on the ground. And then that fucking asshole Jay White comes out with a chair and just beats the fuck out of Tanahashi. Gato comes out. He starts beating the fuck out of Tanahashi. Kushida rolls out of the ring. You don't even remember Kushida's even there. You know, Jay White and Gato get slid out of the ring. They go Kushida leaving. Who cares? <laughs> Who oh, cares? How great was that? How great was that? Who cares? And then they go to the back. I was just like, yes. Jay White oh is trying. God. Is like acknowledging Kushida and, and Gato. Oh, like, okay. Bye, bye, bye. Who cares? <laughs> bye, bye. Who cares? Bye, bye. Awesome stuff. Mm. Yeah, you're right. All that was great because it's like you're saying, Paul Heyman was great at that. 
Yeah, Paul Heyman, Raven is leaving. All right, Raven got his little spot. Fuck Raven, he's done. The Dudleys are back. Cool. That's all you care about now. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, Dreamer's leaving. Fuck it. We don't care. No, whoever. You know, RV, you know, Mike Awesome's leaving. Who fucking cares? Here's Masato Tanaka. He rules. You know, Taz is leaving. Boom. He lost. He's lost the first of the three way. Who gives a shit? It's about Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka now. Who cares? You know. But a lot of times the nuance was there where you gave the guy the proper send off like they did with Kushida, but then it, you make the moment about the new thing yes. you're getting over. And and that's exactly what they nailed. Right, here. the second you they they because so often I'm there and I, I see these all the times on the indies and it we we talked about it a, a little while ago with like a Trevor Lee's and those sort of types. It infuriates me when you have guys come out and you know they're leaving. The company acknowledges they're leaving. Everybody knows they're leaving. They have their last match. They win the match, or even if they lose the match, the other guys walk out of the ring and they just stand up on the turnbuckles and wave and everybody cheers and then it's over. And I'm like, why waste that moment? Like, let them have that moment. In this, in this, what they did is Kushida had that moment where he got on the ground and everyone's chanting his name and Tanahashi comes there up there and hugs him. And then you have the heat. And then what they did is afterwards is that Kushida was able to kind of roll back in the ring once everything had, had kind of cooled down. And then he was able to kind of have his moment there. But you, you left that show thinking about Jay White ruining that moment. You left the show thinking about Jay White and what an asshole he was. You used... The Kushida moment to leverage the next guy, to get the next guy ready, to get whoever, whatever story you wanted to tell. And some people could say, oh, that's cheap. Or, oh, just give the guys a moment. Fuck those guys. They're on the way out. Like, I don't give a shit what Kushida. Th- and that's not to say I like Kushida. Yeah. You know, he's, he's obviously yeah. worth it, but he's on the way out. Too bad, buddy. See ya. Have a good, you know, enjoy it. it, 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 it didn't really shit on Kushida's moment anyway. Because no, they, it, they shit on, ta- they, yeah, he was able to have his moment, but it was yes. more about attacking Tanahashi when he was vulnerable. And during the most impactful time when you're, on your on your feet clapping for Kushida, so it's really going to jolt you the most as well. So it's 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 accomplishing both things, is is what you're getting at here. And, and yes, Paul Heyman was very good at that, and this was an awesome example of that. You're dead on with that. So yeah, yeah I just, I'm trying to think of other examples that that Paul Heyman did. If people want to go back and watch them, the one I remember the most is sorry, I, I reversed that. The Dudley Boys were leaving, and then Raven was coming back. Is one yes. that I remember specifically. I think there was a tag match with the Dudleys and Dreamer and someone else or whatever, and the Dudleys lost, rolled out of the ring, or or, or you know, Raven came out to like be Tommy Dreamer's partner or something like that. If I remember correctly, I forget exactly what happened. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was like a huge moment where it's like, oh, the Dudley Boys are leaving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Raven's back. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you forget. It's already a big moment everyone's paying attention to. Right, right. And they're they're still good about that. I mean, leverage that opportunity to get the next guy. And 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 that's what pro wrestling is all about. Like you have loyalty to the guys that are there for you and the guys that are gonna be there in the future. And that's nothing again. You don't have to shit on the guys and and, and absolutely, you know, say, ah, this guy sucks, he's on the way out. Who gives a shit? But like use that, use that moment. Like, and that guy, you know, if you have a guy that you're that's leaving your company and he doesn't want to do that sort of stuff, then he just doesn't understand pro wrestling because it should all be about the next people, the next guy, the next story, the next match, whatever it is. And that's what they did here. They used this moment perfectly to make Jay White the biggest asshole in the world. It was so good. There's a time and a place for the tear-filled goodbye. I, I, You know what I mean? There are times where I think it's fine and it works. But there's also a time and a place for this. So I agree that this one was handled perfectly. I think Nakamura... That was more of a carry them out on your shoulders. I think they literally. Oh carried sure, them. yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, and all those guys were like bawling their eyes out. You know, what I mean, like you couldn't yeah. really run an ankle there because like Kushida uh, uh, Okada was like a wreck, like an emotional fucking wreck during yeah. that. So you couldn't and, do that. And, and what I noted for that one was it's the thing I always say. You know, when wrestlers are on, it's always in the eyes, and you know when they have it turned off because it's always in the eyes. 
And everyone, if you looked in their eyes during that Nakamura moment, they were all, they, they weren't in camp. Nobody oh, was yeah. in camp. Ishii, Ishii was a wreck, too. I mean, you remember just seeing his eyes, and they're just bouncing, and he's, like, looking down. He looked, like, depressed. Like, he was sad. Oh, like, and, and in reality, you got – see, they had gotten their big put-the-other-guy-over moment with Nakamura a month earlier when Omega pinned them. Right. So you kind of had it already with him, your big shock moment to, to put over the next guy. Yeah, and I'm not saying you have to do it every single time because I think right. you lose it if you do it every time. Correct. There's a time and a place. And here's the other important thing too. No disrespect to Kushida. He's not Shinsuke Nakamura. So it, it, that also makes it a little different too. He's a very popular babyface wrestler, but he wasn't an icon of the company who you know was a multi-time you know world champion and all, all those sorts of things. So... The situation was perfect. It really was because he's just popular enough to where it has impact, but he's not like this super icon where it was disrespectful to him. Right. You know, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, it really worked out well. I agree. All right. So let's get to the uh, new beginning shows here. We got uh, night one kicking off uh, in a few. What is that? The night one is uh, February 2nd. So we're recording this on the uh, 31st. So in a few days here, uh, these are the new uh, new beginning shows in Japan. The new beginning USA tour is obviously uh, starting right now. Those uh, are being taped for New Japan World, right? I assume they'll come up pretty soon. But uh, so uh, they're being taped. There's no it's not on the schedule. So no one knows when they're going to pop up. We should quickly mention best friends are finishing up with the company on that tour. We were tipped off to this about a month ago, but we weren't at liberty to say anything. Um, so we kind of knew this was coming. Rich, I was surprised when I saw Trent and Chucky on the New Japan USA lineups based on everything that we had been told. I have a feeling they had to talk them into working that tour, especially since the Japanese guys weren't there. Because we had heard a month ago that they had quit New Japan and were on their way to All Elite. And then they popped up on those tour lineups. Right. Well, I thought when I saw them on a tour of like, all right, well, that was the bad news that they were leaving. They're obviously not leaving. They're on these tours. And then when they heard as these tours are going on that they're leaving, I'm like, oh, well, that's really now it all makes Yeah. So yeah. now it makes me think that they kind of part of the delay was getting those guys to work. Could you imagine if they not only didn't have the <gasps> Japanese guy, but they, but they lost the Trent versus Juice match. Too. It's, just, it's just Rocky Romero in the main event of every night. It's like just by himself. Yeah, because on top of the Japanese talent, you'd lose the marquee match of the tour. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it's it seems like it was two main events. You lose the what the Charlotte main event and the uh, the uh, the oh, LA main yeah. event, right? Because that was Brett and Romero. You lose them LA. all. Yeah. Lose oh, and all then of course, yeah. Then of course, yeah. The February second, yeah, they're all toast. Trent Christ. So so and, and and the marquee match of the entire tour, the yeah. U.S. title match, main event of Charlotte is Juice versus Rocky Romero. <laughs> your yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know? Right? Like, so it's like, uh, and it's uh, not a good breakup. New Japan's annoyed because Trent had given them a verbal agreement, and then when uh, that con money got flashed, he said, "Well, that's well, so hold, on a <laughs> hold, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Now I can see both sides. New Japan has every right to be annoyed. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. No, this is a classic example where both sides are probably right. Yes, because New Japan, they gave him a verbal agreement, so they said, all right, and they booked around that, right? And they said, okay, cool. Next time you're in fucking Tokyo, we'll sign you on the dotted line. Your word is your bond. Cool. But then he gets a better offer. I can't kill the man. Nah. His name wasn't on a piece of paper. Um, you know, I wouldn't have killed him either way. If he would have said, hey, you know what? I gave my word to someone else. I think that would have been cool. If he said, hey, you know what? I got to fucking put food on my table, which is the route he chose. I don't have a problem with that either. Because um, if New Japan, hey, they could have faxed them a fucking contract. Okay. I mean, there's a way to get things done. But either way, they're finishing up. 
So I just wanted to note that before we continue. This will be it for them, which kind of makes the U.S. title match a little anticlimactic. Yeah, I don't think Paredes winning that match, but <laughs> that's. But uh, you know, if, there, if, if Vegas is taking it, action on that, I might want to put some money on old uh, Juicer there to. Yeah, you might want to find one of those, uh, one of those uh, sketchy British sports books that might be oh, taken action. Three sixty or something like that. <laughs> see, or three sixty five or whatever. Yeah, see. Even if even if juice is like minus thirty five, <laughs> you're gonna 000, win. Yeah, you're gonna-, you're gonna win something. Put everything you have in the bank on it and yeah. make ten bucks. I mean, you know. So anyway, <laughs> all right. Let's get to the new beginning shows. As I said the first one, uh, two shows in Sapporo. Uh, February 2nd, February 3rd. We'll start with night one here. I uh, got Ren Rita versus uh, Yui Yorimura. You got Man- uh, Manabu Nakanishi and Toa Hinari versus Yoshida and Yuminu. Uh, you got uh, Tenzan and Tiger Mask. That's a fun little combo there versus uh, Azuka and uh, Taka. I- I'm kind of into that match. I'm- As I'm reading it, like I'm, I'm kind of like, Ugh. and then I'm like, ah, you know what? That actually sounds pretty awesome. So I'm into that one. Uh, Taguchi, Yoshihashi, Hanma, Yano, and Makabe versus the Bullet Club team of uh, Owens, Yujiro, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, and Taiji Ishimori. You got LIJ, Bushi, Shingo, and Naito versus the Suki Gun, El Desperado, Taichi, and Kanemoro. I have Minoru's. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Now, here's the business end. Here's yes, because the, the rest of those matches kind of stink. But all right, we got three matches that are pretty good. Uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Sonata, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Evil, and then your main event is Tanahashi and Okada teaming up for the first time uh, against uh, the Bullet Club team of Balak Fale and Jay White. Okay, so this card stinks. And <laughs> Not great. <laughs> The entire draw is Tanahashi and Okada teaming for the first time in a two versus two tag. They know that's going to fill the building, or they think it's going to fill the building, so they really put nothing else on it. They did the two singles matches for the future, for the uh, tag team title match that's going to happen a couple days later, and then the rest of the card is really nothing. The one thing I want to note is we did get a uh, never open weight six man tag team title change uh, with uh, Tushaku. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking title change in that usually yeah. stable title, but yeah. Taguchi, Yano, and Makabe uh, won the titles, so Ishimori is no longer a double champion. I watched the match. It's, you know, it's it's a decent little match, but again, brilliant, brilliantly booked. Jay White runs in to attack Taguchi, of all people, to try to save the titles for his boys. It gets mega heat, and Tanahashi makes the save for his boys. So again, great booking here. Yeah. Turned what a match that really no one would have cared about for these dopey six man titles. It put a ton of heat on it. It was a feel good moment when Taguchi uh, uh, won the title, and it put more heat on the Jay White Tanahashi match. Just brilliantly booked. If you watch it play out, it all came together uh, in, in an awesome way. So, uh, so another uh, the, the, the build for this for the big matches on this tour have been excellent. Yeah. Okay. The junior tag match as well. They did the two singles matches. They did Shingo versus um, uh, Kanemaru, which is like a Joe Lanza dream match. Okay, Shingo versus Yoshinobu Kanemaru. And it ended in a bullshit finish where like the partners ran in. And then they did another Heyman special because then the referee just looked around and said, ring the bell. And then we got Bushi versus Despi. Like it bled, one match bled into the other, which is the classic Heyman special. And it had a ton of heat and it worked great. So again, that match feels real hot for those junior tag team titles coming off the way that they've built it on this tour as well. And by the way, Rich, Shingo has still never been pinned in New Japan. Which Just is not so- an accident. <laughs> that is not an accident, by the way, as we say. But uh, yeah, they're really feeling themselves with this Jay White stuff. They, they, I feel like Gato's just absolutely fucking loving this. He's, cl- he's booking like classic Memphis heat too, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Like that dude's just, yeah, fucking heat magnet. They just know what they're doing. They, like, yeah, they're really feeling themselves with that. They're really stretching their, you know, doing more, doing things that they normally wouldn't do. And I think it's all working pretty well. So, yeah, that's, uh, yep. So here's the second new beginning show, and this is like the LIJ uh, portion of the of the tour. Uh, very quickly, the openers we got Toa Hanare versus Yota Suji, the prick face. We've got uh, <laughs> he does have a prick face. Have a prick face. He's going to be a big time heel because he looks like a fucking asshole. Um, He's got like a Tenru thing going. They, they should hire Tenru and have him be his manager, his his, his bodyguard. It'd be good. I'm telling you, he looks like a '90s New Japan heel. He's got that face. I, I don't know if that makes sense to anyone, but that's what he looks like. I got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nakanishi and Tiger Mask again, because uh, remember, look, the fact of the matter is, uh, they all thought Nagata and Liger were going to be in the U.S. So these two guys are teaming with each other instead of their usual partners all over the tour against Yoshida and Ominu, who have continued their team into 2019. Um, they're teaming on that uh, Giant Baba show too. Yoshida. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. We'll talk about that at a later date. But uh, Tenzan and Narita against uh, Azuka and Mishinoku, Taka Mishinoku, uh, Taguchi, Hanma, Yano, and Makabe versus a Bullet Club team, uh, Ta- Yujiro, Tama, Tanga, Tamaloa, and Taiji Ishimori. Uh, and then the other uh, uh, tag is Tanahashi, Okada, and Yoshihashi against Fale, Chase Owens, and Jay White. Then we get into the business end. It's an LIJ show. We've got all of them defending their titles. Bushi and Shingo, as we just mentioned, defend against Desperado and Kanamoru. We've got Evil and Sonata defending against Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. And Tetsuya Naito defending the Never title against Taichi. And the two 10-man tags at Korokin were awesome. And look, say what you want about Taichi. This is a well-built match. And Taichi has looked very good coming into it as we've got the three LIJ title holders defending against the three Suzuki Gun Challengers, which takes us to the third show. And that show will, listen, it's going to do fine, because it's Naito and it's LIJ. I expect it to do fine. And then we've got the third show, which, of course, is headlined by the big Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Jay White title match. Right, and this one's not happening, I should say, not to interrupt. This one's not happening until February 11th, so there's quite a while till this one. So we could probably have waited a week to preview it, but we may as well, while we're doing them all, just go Yeah, since we're talking about the tour anyway, we might as well do it. Uh, Bad Luck Folly versus Okada in the semi-main event slot. So this show, it, it, it's, it, it's Okada in a semi-main event. Now, Fale is a worthless piece of shit. He clearly doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care. and He says as much, I believe, too, which is, is great. wearing t-shirts that say, pin me, pay me. <laughs> the effort is not there. And I'm going to say something harsh. If I were New Japan, I'd pull him off the road. Because he doesn't care and there's no effort. I understand he has an important role running the dojo in New Zealand, grooming talent, um, you know, a liaison for the Oceania. Look, I would, I would pull him from the tours and I'd pay him to go run his little dojo and do it. But I, I don't want this man wrestling. Replace him with uh, the Hikuleo kid. I, do whatever it takes, but get him off because he, he doesn't care. It's very obvious to me that Fale doesn't care anymore. Um, so then we've got Taiji Ishimori defending the junior title against Taguchi. Look, I'm not a Taguchi guy, Rich. I never have a problem with him in a big match because he always delivers. He always delivers in the big match. I have no doubt that he's going to deliver in this match. No doubt. Always delivers. This is an interesting match. How about a non-title match with two pushed tag teams? We don't get that very often. So we got Gorillas of Destiny versus Most Violent Players. This isn't the first match for most violent players since they came back together. They had a match earlier on this tour on one of the road twos, but this is the first high profile two versus two tag for the reformed and now two thirds of the never open weight six man champion, 
most violent players against Gorillas of Destiny. Rich, I have no idea who's winning that match. Oh, I like this. I like a little non-title. I, 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 they should do more of this. They should do more like non-title push tag team matches. It's cool because because of that exact reason. Like you look at it and go, I don't know, <laughs> either team could win this thing for sure. And I like that because more more times than not, you look up and down the card and like there's not a ton of stuff that's uh, that's super unpredictable. But that one, yeah, I have no idea. And it's just another. If I were them, most fine players, I'd give them another win. Like really build that team up as like these yeah. guys are contenders now. These guys are really here to play. Is what I would do. But yeah, you could have you have Tonga and Tonga Loa win too. It's not going to be life or death. I think that team's getting a big push. I think they're replacing um, Ten Koji. I think Ten Koji's done as a push team, and I think that that's your new like veteran team that's going to be in the title mix twice a year. And I think they're getting a big push this year. Uh, we got Toma Akihanma and Yoshihashi against Chase Owens and Yujiro, and then uh, then the beginning. Here's all the tags early on in the show. We've got Bushi Shingo and Naito versus Despi Taichi and Kanemaru. We have another two versus two tag. Uh, with Evil and Sonata, will they be champions or not? We don't know, but they'll face off against Yoshida and Uminu. That's going to be a good match. Ayato Yoshida and Shota Uminu versus Evil and Sonata will be a good match. And then uh, we've got Tenzan, Kojima, Jushin Liger against Minoru Suzuki, Takashi Azuka, and Taka Mishinoku. Obviously, this is February 11th, so all of these guys who they thought would be in the U.S. would have been back by this point anyway. And that points to guys like Kojima and Liger, who are conspicuously absent from the other shows on the tour. One other thing I want to note, Rich, is Shota Ominu and Rennerita on this tour have been winning matches, and they've been winning matches with finishers. They're no longer using the crab holds. So we're seeing uh, more development with those two, who are clearly the standouts yes. of that class. And uh, they're winning with uh, Ominu, used like a bridging German suplex, and uh, Narita used a fisherman's buster, the perfect plex. And um, both of them looked really fucking cool, and they executed them nicely. And um, so it looks like those guys are, uh, you know, inching towards excursion. There's plenty of young lions now, you know, in the, you know, you've got uh, Yota, Suji, and Yumura who are uh, step beneath them. And you have all of uh, Fale's students who you may have been noticing around ringside who are probably getting ready to debut too. Right. And you always have the, obviously the LA dojo guys too, that maybe yep. that maybe the next step for those guys eventually is to go to Japan and then do their work there. You know, I don't, I don't know what the plan is with those guys, but they're in the waiting in the wings too. So, so Omino and Narita, they can be sent off at any time now. It, they, they, they're clearly good enough to be sent off and uh, they're getting to the point where they're almost good enough to just work. Uh, you know, all the time with these guys, <laughs> they really could. And it's like, yeah. you know, I hate that some of the, some guys go away and it's just like, ah, oh, damn, like they just stay like they're fine. But yeah, the, I, I, they, those guys probably are, but I get it. It's, it's the way they do it. And, they're not gonna and it's interesting it. now they've got young lions coming from three different continents. Yes. They got a nice little thing going here. You got Shibata training people in LA. You got the regular, you know, uh, dojo in Japan churning out talent. And now you've got Fale churning out Fale and the wheel man. Tony Kazina down there churning out guys from New <laughs> I can't believe. Is so, that true? Is he really there? Like I yeah, can't. He's trainer. Oh my god, I can't believe it. How does that guy Tony Stick Kazina around. sticking around forever? I gotta I gotta admire it. He's one of the three head trainers for the second biggest promotion. <laughs> How about it for the wheel man? <laughs> you know, talk about another guy that just wins the way wins up, like <laughs> like loses up. He yeah. just finds a way, man. Like a couple years ago, he's driving the getaway car <laughs> for an indie heist where Davy Richards is stealing $200 from some dopey promoter. 
now he's one of the three so Kyle main... O'Reilly in the car and says Kyle gets out of the car and says, Hey, I can never hang out with you guys ever again because I have a career ahead of me and I'm not getting involved in this shit anymore. Yes. Which is great. Good move by yeah. him, by the way. Good move by him. Put it all behind him. And uh yeah, so uh that's the new beginning, the three big new beginning shows. Uh the build has been excellent all the way around for all of the big matches, with the exception of Okada and Bad Luck Folly, because Folly stinks. So there you go. All right, so that is the New Beginning Tour. Uh, as we said, the New Beginning and USA shows are going on as we speak right now. Those will hopefully be popping up on New Japan World uh, pretty soon, so we'll talk about those when they do drop. But, uh, yeah, Joe, anything else uh, this week before we send off? I have no voice left. I don't have much either. Anyway, patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. We do our top 10 reveal for match of the year. You definitely want to check that out. Uh, Voiceswrestling.com to watch the or, or follow the entire match of the year uh, as it's progressed. Uh, also, uh, voiceswrestling.com slash Patreon is where you can hear our uh, daily updates or you do your news updates uh, a few times a week. Uh, you do the TV reviews as well. Some other good stuff coming your way on that as well. Voice Wrestling Podcast Network, a lot of good stuff on there as well. I'm losing my voice too, so I should probably just sign off and say that for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Krejci, and we'll see you next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.